You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie Samara and Rupert, bringing class to trash since So the GGTMC, we got three gentlemen here who are all sweaty and ready to talk about some movies. And it's not just because of spaghetti sweat this time. This time we had to save the rec center. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we are back. We got uh, two films to talk about today. Um, Heavenly Bodies from 84, right? Yep. Yeah, I always, I love how I guess. And then all I've got to do is reach for my notes, which are right to my left. And then Killer of Sheep from 1977. So... We get, uh, they're kind of diverse, these two movies. So. <laughs> Slight, yes, they uh, certainly are. Slightly different, each one. So, <laughs> so uh, with that being said, uh, welcome Rupert back. I was on air, welcome you back to the show. We just called him Thank up. Thank you. <laughs> so it's good to have him back. And, good to be uh, back. and of course, with Large William across the border from me. Always good to talk to Large William, as you know. And, uh, okay, so I actually had sleep. Uh, we're recording the show in order this morning, which is a rarity, and uh, I think we can get going on what we've been watching. So whoever wants to go first, have at it. Well, why don't you go first? Ooh, flipping the script on you, yo. <laughs> 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 All right, Sammy, you want to roll or you want me to, man? No, nah, go ahead. All right, I'm having here? some. I'm having some lovely tea, so go ahead. Ah, nice. Okay, I finished my shreddies and... Half a cup of coffee, so I'm good. All right, <clears throat> so it's been a light week, man. Uh, as I was telling you guys off the air, um, our second son is due today, of all days, which is also my three-year wedding anniversary. So happy anniversary to my wife. Uh, yes, she won't yes. listen to this, and <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, so we've been pretty busy just trying to do a lot of stuff with William uh, before his life changes, and he's not the only child. So we've been outside a lot and doing a lot of stuff. Um, but I did get in uh, six films, and uh, of those six, uh, mixed bag, I guess. Uh, I watched The Police Tapes, which was a um, documentary, I believe it was made for TV in the mid to late 70s. It was about um, one of the police precincts in the Bronx, when New York was really at its fucking dirtiest and sleaziest. So this, was um, when, this was when everybody was wearing football pads, right? And fighting Charles yes. Bronson? Yeah, okay. Yes, precisely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's okay. I think in the hands of a much better documentarian, it would have been even more engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched uh, Hierro, which is a Spanish film. It's it, kind of a conventional plot. It's about a woman, a single mother who, um, while she's on vacation, her son, her young son, goes missing, and it's one of those things with kind of the unreliable narrative, and she's trying to find him, and it's uh, it's pretty good. I mean. It, 
it's one of the most visually stunning films I've seen in a long time. I think it, it kind of falls into a lot of traps and conventions, uh, but it was a first-time film, so I'll definitely keep an eye out for this guy because, like I said, the film looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, watched a giallo polizia hybrid suspected death of a minor uh, by Martino. Uh, a little too much comedy for me. I think oh. they put too much eggs in too many different baskets. Sometimes you know they are better in one basket. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's one of the things that Martino did that uh, Argento never did was the comedies. I think Argento's, has he never, well, intentionally, has he ever done a comedy? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I know he did that one. I don't know if it was a sex, not a sex comedy, but no, I think, I don't know if it was more of a romantic comedy. I don't know. I never, I've never seen it, but um, I don't know. I just, you know, with this, you know, I like my, my stuff played straight. Usually it's it's hard to pull off that comedy. And I mean, there are some bits that are kind of funny, but it, uh, I don't know. It didn't really work for me. It was okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I watched a couple rock solid French films. Uh, I watched Emily for the first time. Um, and I was just, I was just floored by this film, man. I, I just, it was one of the most charming, sweet, uh, joyous experiences I've had in a long time. I watched it with my wife and we both really enjoyed it. I, I just, I've always liked Audrey Tattoo ever since Singer and Dirty Pretty Things, but, um, man, I mean, th- this film, I highly recommend everyone see it if yeah. it kind of restores kind of that that sunshine in your life kind of feel when you watch yeah. it. It's really, really good, man. It's, it's a bit whimsical, like I said on your Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is, and, and it's one of the few times where whimsy's done well or done right. Um, so we go from Genet to, I guess, a French master, one of the few, as I really do think is a French master, and that's Truffaut. Uh, I went wanted to remedy uh, not having seen the 400 Blows. So I watched Ooh. that, and, uh, you know, just an excellent film. Uh, I want to see the other Antoine Donnell films that uh Truffaut did I think this uh you know it it's it's without the the pretension and and self-satisfaction a lot of the other stuff uh from the French New Wave I've seen has yeah it's uh, just a simple film but just done really really well mm-hmm. um I saw the I, closed- I saw let me just interrupt for briefly here I saw this movie called The 400 Blows too but it starred uh, Doc Zom and Brandy Spears so <laughs> hopefully it starred more than those two <laughs> <laughs> it was a one location film that's all I'm gonna say Nice <laughs> bathroom stall. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> love you, um, love you, Zom. Love you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, maybe some Aunt Peg for uh, for the Zom. Uh, <laughs> then I finished up my week with uh, Female Convict Scorpion Jailhouse Forty One. Oh, okay. Did you watch that? Yeah, it was uh, Uncool Cat had uh, got it for me, and it's as, it's as if the first film in the series and either Suspiria or Hausu had a child. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's really, really, really stylish and really insane in spots, but visually very stunning. So, you know, being a sucker for that aesthetic and that kind of uh, over-the-top kind of uh, vibe, it really worked well for me. So, yeah, that was my week. Nice. Interesting. I'm looking forward to checking that one out. I'm I'm kind of waiting a little bit because I have a feeling like maybe at some point we might do it on the show. So, so. We'll wait out. But I, I, who knows? I might just go ahead and jump in anyway. All if right. If you want to, let me know. <laughs> All right. Uh, Rupert, we'll see what you got. What's this? Let's watch there, buddy. Let's see here. Um, a lot of 80s movies. I'm looking over this um, past week or so. Um, I did uh, Fright Night. Um, my wife and I have been on a Matthew Modine kick for a while. We did Full Metal Jacket, which she hadn't seen. Nice. She liked. Nice. Uh, we watched Frozen. Um which is pretty good, but a little, there's some stuff I feel like it's a little bit too too hard to swallow. I mean, not that that's an issue for a lot of the time. For me, sounds, but. sounds like you watch the 400 Blows, too. 
<laughs> yes, indeed. Um, I watched the uh, the proposal because uh, it was on Netflix Instant for oh. whatever reason. I just, <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. one? Which one's that? That's the one with Brian Reynolds and. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's. I don't know why I do this stuff to myself sometimes. Nah, you know, I, you know, it is what it is. You watch it by yourself, or you watch it with your wife. I watched it by myself. Oh. It, was really, it was one of those like where I could watch it on my phone. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, and I, was, I thought it would put me to sleep, and it, you know, it did. So I watched it over multiple nights and whatever. So. Oh, yes. you're like me. You can't you can't leave it unfinished. I understand. Yes. Yeah, you know, you got to find out how it revs up. Yeah. Um, Even though you already know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I watched The Running Man, which I hadn't seen in a long time. Classic. Um, the uh, the lost skeleton of Cadavra I showed to nice. my son, and we all had a good time with that. It's it's a pretty silly film, you know. It wears its influences on its sleeve, and uh, it's it's pretty enjoyable. I have to say, we're in the middle of the sequel right now. Uh, mm-hmm. I finished that tonight. Let uh, me know how it is. Actually, sorry, Brad. Let me know how that one is because I was going to check it out. The sequel that is. The sequel is so far. It's I mean we're more than halfway done with it, and it's it's not as good as the first one, but it's got some some good moments. You know, my son loves both so far so but we'll see how it ends um uh 16 candles was on M- uh, abc family hd so my wife and i just went through that which was fun and it was fun to watch it edited because i remembered having a tape of it off tv and a lot of the swearing in certain scenes was the same <clears throat> dubbing uh which was really funny for me to remember um <laughs> Because I haven't watched that tape, obviously, in like a long time. Right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Maximum Overdrive. Give that another look. Yes, that's um, one of my favorite kind of mediocre bad movies is Maximum Overdrive. I love that film. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, for what it is, you know, it holds up. Although Yardley Smith, holy shit. <laughs> Man. I think I, I think I think I said on uh, Twitter that Yearly Smith's uh, face looks like a butthole. So <laughs> I had to show my wife that tweet when you when you said it. I hate to, I mean I hate to say it, but you know, a little, little chocolate starfish right there on the face. So. <laughs> it's and then she's so shrill in the movie. It's pretty obnoxious. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I finally saw Predators um, and liked it pretty good. Okay, uh, you know, seemed to be. Right about where I thought it would be, basically for me. So mm-hmm. I had a good time, mm-hmm. and then uh, showed my son the movie Brain Donors. Oh, um, nice. Sort of a Marx Brothers. I think they've called it like a loose remake of Night uh, Night at the Opera, which is not my favorite Marx Brothers movie, but it's still okay. You know, it's a modern day you know farcical deal. So he he had a fun time with it. Um, but uh, that's about it for me. All right, nice, nice, nice. So far, a lot of different stuff here. I got uh, nine more we can talk about here. Uh, I watched a couple more 30 for 30s. I watched uh, House of Steinbrenner, which I don't think that really needs a lot of explanation. That's about uh, Mr. Steinbrenner and uh, for the Yankees. So for those non-sport fans, if you don't know the George Steinbrenner, but probably the, the, the greatest investment in sports history when he bought a team for like, I don't know, five or six million dollars and turned it into a multi-billion dollar company. And an so, international brand, as yeah, you said. Yeah, so pretty interesting story. Um, and of course, I'm a Yankees fan, so that helps. I like that probably a lot more than it probably is good. So there you go. Uh, you like it more than Bill would? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit better than you know it might actually be. Uh, I watched Into the Wind. Now this is the Terry Fox one. Now of course this. Ooh, I have this on my PVR. I was gonna. Oh, fuck, I'm so glad. I'm curious to see what you think about this. Well, I mean, I like it a lot. I mean, I've known Terry Fox has always been a big part of even my childhood. I mean, he was huge here in America too. I mean, it was, oh, was he? I, I wanted to. Yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off. I wanted to ask you about that because he's my favorite Canadian, man. I get choked up just thinking about Terry 
Fox. I mean, I really admire what he did, but I didn't know he was big in the States, man. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. They, would cover, they covered his... Uh, when I was growing up, they would talk about his run in the States, too, man. I mean, it was a really big deal, and and I remember it, quite uh, frankly. And it actually it kind of coincided with me and my realization as a young man of mortality a little bit. Oh, wow. Uh, which was, you know, as I was with all young children, when you discover that, you know people are mortal it can it can hit you in the it can hit you like a fucking sack of potatoes man it's no joke i mean you know and it hit me right around that time my mom started explaining to me what cancer was and what happened with terry fox and stuff and it was pretty emotional stuff and that story i mean the terry fox story is always going to be uh it's always going to be one of those inspiring and emotional stories so uh it's it's a good film it's a good it's a good 30 for 30 it's it's not a great one but it's still pretty damn good so you know it rests on the strength of the actual story as opposed to the skill of the director or the filmmaker. Yeah, the only thing is, if you know a lot about the story, I don't know how much more you'll learn. I, I think what I like the most about it is there's a lot of talk about what went on in the van with him and his friends and how much fun they had. I think that was oh, okay. some of the good stuff because you get to see. Because, you know, it was always so serious. You know, Terry Fox was a serious, and not, not, not like a super serious guy, but I mean, you know, he had a serious issue going on there and he wanted to do some good and stuff. So you get to see a lot of the playfulness of him and friends, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, I watched, uh, another tragic story. I watched American, the Bill Hicks story. Uh, Bill Hicks, one of my favorite comedians probably of all time. Uh, you know, he died like, I think he was like 32, 34 or something when he died of pancreatic cancer. So, uh, very, very interesting story. The documentary is a little too stylish for its own good, but it's a good film nonetheless. Uh, I watched an espionage movie with George Raft from 1941 called Background to Danger. Just wanted to kill some time, and I like those movies from the 40s because they're like 60 and 70 minutes long. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a little George Raft action. You know, he's he's an international spy who speaks with the thickest fucking Brooklyn accent of all time. So, <laughs> you know, like, hey, you guys, what are you doing over there? You know, it's like, what the fuck, dude? What movie did you just walk out of? But then I got to remember it's George Raft. So, you know. But it had Sidney Greenstreet in it and um, who else? Somebody else. But fucking Greenstreet, man, he's trying to do a Nazi accent. It just ain't fucking working. Talk about talk about Silva blowing him away. I mean, this guy, is do- <laughs> he's trying to be the most Nazi of Nazis, and he's coming off as like the most fucking English of English, man. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, you know he played one of the great bad guys ever. I think in the uh, in the was it the Maltese Falcon? Was that was that it? I think so. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's early in the morning, but I think, I think we're right. But anyway, yeah, it's 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 okay. Uh, I wouldn't seek it out unless you're a fan of espionage thrillers from 1940s. So, uh, I watched Eye of the Tiger. Uh, this nice. is uh, the Gary Busey, uh, William Smith, Yafet Kato classic, as I like to call it. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, I was talking to Will off air. Is like, yeah, Yafekato just didn't know what fucking movie he was in at all in this movie. And uh, at one point, he shows up and he's got a blue jean shirt on, halfway unbuttoned, fucking bandana tied around his neck like a neckerchief. Uh, <laughs> got a gun on his hip, wearing fucking blue jeans. Another point, he's wearing this. And then I have to say this on the air: toward the end of the movie, he decides that you know he's a he's a pilot in his spare time and he wants to help Gary Busey. And I'm not giving him away. Fucking guy dresses up like a World War II pilot. Uh, wearing the, the the you know the like the Tom Selleck high road to China outfit wearing the fucking sh- sh- <laughs> and I'm like fucking what's wrong with it? somebody should stop Kato and said hey dude dude you don't have to dress all up like that you know it's just it's really bizarre but it's a, it's a fun movie I have the tiger it's a lot more serious I would say than bulletproof but uh, still pretty good I think you know I wish Gary Busey would have made more of these movies unfortunately he didn't make a whole lot of them but I wish he would have made more of these kind of action movies I think he he did pretty good with these things. Yeah, um, I want to see that one. I remember Zom posting on Facebook or something about how he had yeah. seen it. Or, it I think it was Zom. No, I, I, I think I posted it, and actually it was Zom. Zom hasn't seen it. 
And he didn't know if he needed. Yeah, no, he you didn't. know what? It's another friend of mine on Twitter that yeah. posted. He didn't know if he needed to see it or not, and I started talking about it and stuff. And he's like, "Okay, that's it. I need to see this." Because <laughs> there's a great interrogation scene with uh, uh, a huge vat of Vaseline and a stick of dynamite going in somebody's anus, <laughs> and, wow. Gary, and Gary Busey dressed up like a doctor. <laughs> wow, nice! It's just, it's just that kind of movie. <laughs> Does he roll out the speculum? No, he just he just pretty much inserts roughly. Oh, nice! His bedside manner is somewhat lacking. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Hey, iPhone, and uh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I know that noise because I have one. So uh, anyway, uh, moving on. I watched uh, Monsters. Now this is a this one's got a little bit of buzz. So it was on the uh, rent before you see it in the theater or rent theatrical rental thing on the PlayStation Network. And when I came home one night, and those are like. They're like 13 bucks to rent. So, you know, I always think, you know, well, if it was at the movies, I'd have went and saw it, and that would have cost me like 8 to 10 bucks, you know, or I got a Coke or something. It would have cost me 15 bucks. So I'm going to rent this fucker. And I check it out and stuff, and I heard some good things about it and stuff, man. I found this movie so boring. Damn it. It's so funny you said that because Uncool Cat, I think his post on our boards was, uh, Dear Monsters, you were the first big monster film I've ever been bored at. Congratulations. <laughs> I found it. Yeah. I'll be honest with you, and I know this sounds like a harsh criticism, but I found it more boring than I found Kaiju films, man. I just, yeah. I was just like, ugh, man, this is what? What is this? And I guess they try to sell it as a relationship independent film first. Okay, that's fine. But the problem is, is your two lead characters are fucking boring too. <laughs> oh man. So you know, I think some people might dig it. Uh, I know Bill dug it, and some other people dug it. I think the Ian and those guys over in England they saw the Fantastic Fest. I think they dug it, but. I mean, I don't know. Just for me, it didn't work. I mean, I even thought about watching it again because I thought maybe I didn't see something. But then just the, the sheer thought of watching it again was just like, uh, no, thank you. So, damn, I won't be checking I was really that. Really kind of excited to check that out. And, well, uh, I heard- another thing is it's called Monsters, and there's a severe, as I think Chris said, lack of. yeah, there's a severe lack of monsters. <laughs> but you know, it's a low budget movie, so you know, say what you want to say about that. So, I don't know. I think the trailer sells it really well. I just don't think the execution's there. So there's that. Uh, I watched uh, Robin Hood, the Ridley Scott uh, uh, Russell Crowe film. I was just hoping for it to be better in Gladiator, which I'm not a big fan of Gladiator. Anybody that's listening to the show knows that. I think it's a, it's probably one of the worst films ever to win Best Picture, <laughs> ever. That's, that's saying something. Yeah, that's just my yeah. that's just my opinion. I know some people like it yeah. a lot. I'm with you, man. I'm not a big fan. It's like it's I like, like it more than you two, but I I don't know. I think it's good, not great. Yeah, and uh, I was hoping it'd be about as good, but it's not quite as good as Gladiator. It's a little, it's like a half a point less. I mean, it has some good moments. It looks great, like all Ridley Scott films do. Uh, I heard I'd read some stuff that it looked drab and kind of boring and stuff, but I actually thought it was quite gorgeous. Uh, it has some fun performances in it. Uh, Danny Houston chewing up scene in the early parts of it, and uh, I did like Kate Blanchett in the film and. And some other people. I mean, it's got some good moments, but it's just, I don't know, it's just been there, done that. You know what I mean? So, uh, I watched something similar, uh, Max Payne with fucking Donnie Wahlberg. Now, I didn't pursue this. Oh, this was oh, just this is a fucking awful, what an awful movie. <laughs> yeah. I didn't pursue this movie. It was just on cable, and uh, I was feeding my boy, and it was early in the morning. I didn't have to go to work for a couple more hours, and I was like, well, fuck, I don't feel like getting up. I'm feeding him. I don't feel like walking around. I'm just going to sit here and feed him, and I'm just going to start watching this. Was to see how bad it is because I'd heard it was bad. This thing is this fucking movie's atrocious, man. <laughs> it is. It really is fucking dreadful. <laughs> and yeah, it, I mean it's a turd. It's a serious turd. Yeah, and it, what's really funny is the whole time I'm looking at Donnie Wahlberg or Donnie Wahlberg. Fuck, it should have been Donnie Wahlberg. Might have been more entertaining. But Mark Wahlberg 
And I'm thinking, dude, man, fucking release the scowl a little bit, man. Just release it a little bit, man. I mean, I know he's going supposed to go through some serious shit in the movie, and I know the Max Payne character's got a scowl and all this shit, but fuck, man, it just got on my nerves. I just want to smack him after a while. <laughs> and not only that, but I mean, just, just everybody, you know, other than the fact that Mila Kunis looked good, the movie that movie has nothing going for it whatsoever. It's way over stylized. It, it rips off yeah. like everything, and it's fucking like. And then I was telling DZ on Twitter, and it's like all of a sudden, you know, you start getting this drug, it turns into fucking like Constantine and shit, and religious imagery, imagery, and all this other shit. I'm like, fuck this movie. You know, <laughs> so, movies don't really piss me off often, but that one kind of pissed me off. Now, speaking of that, I saved this one for last. I watched Iron Man two. Now Iron Man two fucking pissed me off. All right, uh, I knew I known that a lot of people didn't really care for it and stuff, but I really fucking hated Iron Man two. Uh, I mean, I fucking hated it. I wanted to kill somebody after watching it. I hated it so fucking bad. So, fuck Iron Man 2. Fuck John Favreau. And please don't make any more fucking Iron Man movies. Fuck. No. God damn. What a, what, a terrible, what a terrible tragedy this is. I mean, he couldn't rein his people in. I fucking hated everybody in it. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I just didn't care by the time it was over with. I was like, fucking somebody blow up this place. And so, you know, I mean, I just thought it was a big waste of time. And then I know, Will, I know you saw it. I think, Brian, did you see it? I haven't yet. I have it in the queue. I've been meaning to, but yeah. that's too bad. I think, I think some people will be entertained. I think, of course, kids are going to like it. Um, again, I've said that I think the comic book movie is, is dead and dying. I really do believe that. Uh, I know a lot of people have these hopes. I was on Twitter last night. Everybody was really excited about Zack Snyder doing Spider Superman. I'm about as excited with that as I am about sticking my own fist in my ass. So, in other words, you're very excited about the Yes. Yeah. In other words, I'm super excited. <laughs> yes. Well... But uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm a comic book nerd, and I can tell you right now, I'm. I'm just about fucking done with comic book movies. So they've become the the Hollywood stain is what they've become on movie making. So, <laughs> and Iron Man Two is a great example of that. I mean, I don't know who fucking decided this movie was any good. Uh, yeah, it's, I, it's really bad. And uh, you're right. Wasn't it you, Will, that told me that? <clears throat> excuse me. Wasn't it you that told me that you know you're really tired of Scarlett Johansson? Scarlett Johansson is so bad in this movie that I would probably, if it was really up to me, I would probably never watch her in a movie again. I wouldn't go that far. I do think she's well. Obviously, she's good to look at. I think she's all right as an actress. The film just it, he they, they turn him into Tony into like this douchey emo frat boy and yeah it just doesn't work it just there's too much going on man too much i mean i'll tell you this i liked mickey rourke he got the he got the memo like you know as to how absurd it was yeah I, to to a degree I, I will say that for once in a mickey rourke movie it's like uh, you know don't bring your mickey rourke hairdo to the movie please uh, I, he did drive me crazy a little bit with his highlights and stuff and things oh, like come that. Come on, the, the parrot, his pet parrot was, <laughs> it was, a, it was a cockatoo. But I no, I did, I, I did like those scenes. No, I did like some of those scenes. And I like the scene between him and and there's some good scenes where Robert Downey Jr. is quiet. I think what happened was the first one was a hit. Robert Downey Jr. is very well known for being an improviser and having a lot of fun. And it looks like to me he was having a little too much fun. And yes. uh, John Favreau was in love with Robert Downey Jr. And he's like, hey, just go for it. You know, everybody will understand. You're Tony Stark, you know, billionaire, playboy, blah, blah, blah. But he comes off as billionaire douchebag. And yeah. I did like uh, Sam Jackson in the movie. But, of course, you know, he's Sam Jackson. I mean, he's always, he's always pretty consistent and stuff. Even with the eye patch, he's pretty solid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they, uh, Don Cheadle, I thought, was a, I thought he was a waste. Uh, I just didn't really care. And... and Sam Rockwell, who I typically like, I mean, this is just another one of those Sam Rockwell characters where he's kind of goofy, yet, you know, evil, and I don't know, just felt like he'd been there, done that too. Just felt like he wouldn't bring anything new to the table. 
So I don't know. I just hated the movie. Let's just put it that way. I, I, I didn't hate it, but I was pretty let down. And my wife fell asleep 10 minutes in, and she actually um, was going to rent it. I said, just do me a favor. Watch it on your own. I don't want to watch it again. Yeah. You know, yeah I'll, I'll never watch it again. But uh, I'd be interested to find out what you think of it when you see it, Bri. So just let us know. Yeah. Oh, I plan to watch it at some point because my wife and I both missed it. And, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I say that I'm not going to watch any more comic book movies because I'm just about done. But the truth of the matter is, I'm a comic book nerd, like I say, and I'll watch every one of them. So, but uh, I just do. I think the quality of them has has dissipated incredibly over the last few years. So, especially the big budget ones. Uh, okay, so that's everything. Uh, I think we'll take a uh, short break, and when we come back, we'll talk. What do we want to talk about first? Anybody got a preference? Hmm. Yeah. Don't all pony up at once. Uh, uh, I'm torn. I'm torn. <laughs> I have <laughs> Let's just do. Uh, let's do. Um, let's do, let's kill- do Killer Sheep first. Okay, yeah, because I got. I was getting to say the same thing because I have the notes right in front of me here. Okay. So okay. We'll, we'll come back and we'll do Killer of Sheep first. So we'll be back right after this. Are you looking for a way to connect with people who like the things that you like? Whether it's music, movies, TV, or whatever you're into, head on over to the Palaver.com forums. <clears throat> yes, yes, but, but forums and message boards are elitist and archaic. <laughs> Well, yeah, maybe if you're an asshole. Palaver.com is home to all your favorite podcasts. So why not head over there now? Start talking about all the things you want to talk about. That's Palaver.com. P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Song's almost a little emotional this morning. I was getting into it there. <laughs> uh, it's a great one from a great Canadian uh, singer, Dallas Green. Nice. Uh, okay, so we are back. We're going to talk about uh, some Killer of Sheep. So, uh, hey, Will, you pick this. So go ahead and uh, synopsize and we'll get going on it. Yeah, no, certainly. Well, I just want to kind of preface uh, it by just saying that um, it was a film that came to my attention a few years ago, um, maybe about 18 months ago to two years ago. I was reading an interesting article on, I can't remember which movie blog it was, but one of the more prominent ones I read, and they were talking about Los Angeles in film um, and how it plays a character in films. Because, Brian, isn't there a documentary called, I think you've even seen it, Los Angeles Plays Itself or something like yes. that? 
Yes, indeed. Think, it's, a, it's a pretty cool doc. Yeah, and I think they were talking about that, and they were referencing um, some pretty great films that were underseen that featured Los Angeles, and this, and another one that's on our roadmap, um, or ones I'd heard about at that time, called The Exiles, uh, about some Native Americans living in uh, in Southern California in uh, in the 50s. Um, but this one, uh, I immediately seeked out both, and this was actually on TCM a few weeks ago, back-to-back with The Exiles, which was kind of serendipitous. Um, it's a film that you know I was stunned I hadn't heard about, considering the praise that were being sung by it. And I mean, Steven Soderbergh and TCM got together, and they, they restored the film and, and got everything cleared uh, as far as the licensing rights and all that with uh, some of the music. And uh, the film's actually been chosen. It was one of the first 50 films to be selected for the Library of Congress's National Film Registry and was chosen by the National Society of Film Critics as one of the 100 essential films. So um, I was really that kind of uh, really... Uh, open my eyes to uh, the film. So, um, with that being said, what the film is about, it's, uh, and it was actually, I should also say it was Charles Burnett when he was, I believe, at UCLA Film School. It was his, um, the film he, I don't know what the term is now. His, Forgive me. His, uh, his, his thesis, thesis film or yeah, something. Thesis, thesis project, yeah. Um, it's essentially, uh, it's this is, okay, Stan works in, a, in drudgery at a slaughterhouse. His personal life is drab. Dissatisfaction and ennui keep him unresponsive to the needs of his adoring wife. And he must struggle against influences which would dishonor and, and endanger him and his family. I think that's a bit overly simplistic, um, but I guess that kind of summarizes Stan, the central character's plight, uh, to a degree. Um, with that being said, I picked this film because it's a film I really believe in and I think more people should see. Uh, and I'm curious what you two think of it. Especially, not, not especially, but... Brian as well, living in Los Angeles, I guess would also be interesting. So yeah, you know, it wouldn't be the gentleman's guy to midnight send if we didn't let the guests go first. So Brian, I'm gonna let you talk about it a little bit, not to put pressure on you or anything. I don't, <laughs> yeah, well, I you know, I don't know. Well, I I, uh, I liked it. I definitely liked it. You know, I think the trick for me was that there's a lot of build up and and certainly not. Um, you didn't talk to me about it or build it up too much at all. Um, but I know I knew it, the history of the film, and I've been meaning to see it for quite a long time so I'm kind of glad that you picked it because um, I, I think I had tried to watch it years ago and whatever reason uh, wasn't in the right frame of mind to sit down and watch it and uh, you know I know it's a big influence on uh, David Gordon Green and he's talked about you know George Washington and how it seems I think that film's are like you, a direct descendant. Are you serious because what I, I swear to God I didn't know this one of my notes was that feels like a stripped-down David Gordon Green, especially George Washington. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure he talks about it in, I want to say, the commentary on the Criterion disc, but it's been such a long time since I've heard that. Um, but, yeah, I know he's a big fan of the movie. Like, Rick, have you heard that before? Uh, yes, I have heard that before. That's actually the place when Will started talking about it. I've never seen the film before. We did the show, and, and actually, you know, I'm a big fan of George Washington. I'm a big fan of David Gordon Green, and I remembered when we started doing some research and stuff, I remember that... Uh, David Gordon Green had mentioned this film as one of those ones that I'd written down a long time ago. Like I got to get to this, and I never got to it. So when Will picked it, it was like, oh, okay, well there we go. I'll have a reason to watch it finally, and I've been meaning to watch it forever. So George Washington is actually my favorite David Gordon Green film, for what it's yeah. worth. So. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's a, it's, a, it's a good one. I mean, uh, I think it's it, you can see the influence definitely. I mean, I don't think there's as much humor, obviously, in Killer of Sheep. No. Um, as there is in George Washington, or maybe some almost contrived weirdness that George Washington has, which I like personally, but 
Um, yeah, this is definitely one of those films that's sort of a um, very observational, uh, gritty, kitchen sink type um, film. And it's it's got, it's very poetic, you know, just one of those that's mm. sort of sits with you and uh, washes over you. And, um, you know, the use of music is very interesting. And I don't know, I had a little trouble with the slaughterhouse scenes. Um, yeah which is fair because yeah i think we should (laughs) preface it by saying you know the title does hold true yeah Uh, we we should warn some people who don't uh you know who won't uh care for that (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean i mean i i I totally respect them putting the actor in the slaughterhouse and yeah um you know it looks like at one point they they had him i assumed he was going through the motions of um the actual killing of the sheep like Mm -hmm. there's the one part where he's got the i don't know what they use when they put put it through their head or whatever they do. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he. Uh, I don't. I think. Well, he used non actors for this project, I believe. So I, I don't know if that guy yeah. worked there or if uh, you know he got the guy a job there, or you know if they just let him shoot there. Uh, of course, this is seventy seven. They might just let him shoot there. It's a little different time. I don't think nowadays you could probably, unless you're like you know, super big budget or something, you can walk into a slaughterhouse and make a movie. But uh, yeah, I mean, it looks to me like he he well, he obviously had to have a little bit of training, right? I mean, well, I th- yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I think that uh, uh, Henry Gale Sanders, who's the actor who plays Stan, I'm pretty sure. I'm just looking into it now. Yeah, he's done a lot of stuff. I think he might have been one of the only actual actors. Yeah. Um, he's pretty good in the movie. He, yeah, yeah, he is good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. fuck. He, he did an episode of Alf. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's, he has some actually some pretty prominent stuff. Miami That's, Vice. You call it Alf. I call it validation. Oh, <laughs> 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 Max, right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, sorry. Um, yeah, I mean that's really interesting. He he is he is very good, and there's some really good little observational moments. Um, you know, I I had to. You know what's unfortunate, Will, is I had to break it up because uh, just the, how life gets in the way and whatnot. And um, I wish I could have seen it all in one sitting. That that's I really recommend that people if if you if you're like me and. For whatever reason, you can't watch movies all in one sitting on occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you guys, we all have to sort of break movies up with the kids. Uh, oh, I'd recommend hey. this as a sit-through-it-all-at-once uh, kind of movie. Yeah, I, I think you hit on a good point, Brad, because I think when you get films like this that, to me, are very lyrical or very poetic, it's almost like um, it's almost like when you're listening to a song, you kind of get in the rhythm of it. If you were to turn that song off and then start it again, I think it's like this with most movies, but especially one that's kind of poetic or lyrical, to come back into it, it almost snaps you out of that, that lyricism or, or that, that poetry of, of what the film is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I know that I, I, I watched the first half and then I watched the second half and it lost something for me in doing that. And I was really kind of pissed off by the end because I was like, damn it, you know, I know... The, the impact of these later scenes would have been heightened if I hadn't done that. And I should have known to just try and block out the time, but unfortunately it just didn't work out. So, mm-hmm. uh, But just there's some really beautiful moments. I particularly love being you know, a father of a, young, a very young uh, daughter. Uh, there's a great scene where the little girl is singing in one room. I think she's in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah. And, you know, sort of off-key, doing her own thing, but the mother's in the other room, like, brushing her hair, and she sort of looks in. And it's a very, for me, sort of an unpretentious moment uh, that I really really thought was pretty beautiful. You know what? That that is a great moment. I want to say, 
one of the things that strikes me the most about the film, I had a chance to see it the first time and just kind of let it wash on me, and this time more critically is is the honesty, I think, in a lot of the moments in the film, is how true they feel and how true they ring. Because a moment like that, if you were to put it in a Hollywood film, could really reek of kind of saccharine, um, uh, calculated to, to kind of pull at your heartstrings or kind of make you go, aww. Yeah. Whereas yeah, with this, it feels genuine and it does feel sweet. Right. Yeah, I agree. And that's that's a really beautiful... And then the moment where the two of them dance that song, oh. and it's... It's not exactly a, a uh, like, you know. It starts out as sort of a lovely moment, and then you can tell that there's a certain disconnect between the two of them. That it's very tragic, um, or at least that's how I remember it. I don't know mm-hmm. if I misinterpreted that scene. No, no. Uh, but but that's another moment where it just feels like there's not a movie that would get made today that would let a scene like that play. There's a lot of just like I said, observational scenes, and and the dialogue is a little bit clunky in parts. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the non-actor thing, but really that doesn't bother me too much. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's just—I didn't even know it was. I didn't look it up. I didn't know it was shot in L.A. Um, but having seen it now, seen a couple of the scenes, it, it seemed very familiar to me. And I—I I meant to look it up at the time. I'm like, this feels like L.A. to me. Um, so that's really neat that they did. They did. Uh, I like that sort of uh, slice of what it was like in Los Angeles in '77. That's just a really coolly captured in this i don't know how, how close have you been to watch the watts area since you've uh since in recent years is it, is it still in bad shape out there is it in good shape i haven't been to watts and i've been through watts once but uh you know i i, I haven't honestly i haven't been uh, i haven't been out there too much yeah um so i'm assuming it's i you know i don't know honestly yeah i'd be interested to see what it looks like nowadays i think the last time i really saw a lot about watts was during the uh the riots riots there. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I'd be interested to see what it looks like nowadays. Uh, just because, you know, I mean, those alleyways that Los Angeles have behind houses, they're, they're always very good cinematically. You know, I remember Boys, oh, yeah. Boys in the Hood and stuff and oh. stuff like that. Those those alleyways always work really well. And, of course, there's a couple scenes well, in yeah. alleyways here. Yeah, there's some great, I mean, the black and white really helps it, too. Like, for whatever reason, it, I don't know, it really makes it, it, like I said, that one for more poetic. And it almost, to me, it almost took it back to, like, early 60s. Like, I, I yeah. even though it was 77, it felt to me like 62, 63, 64 in there because of the black and white. And I think there wasn't a lot of, because uh, he used sometimes some older music and stuff. And it just, it, it felt a little more timeless, or early 60s, I guess, than, than late 70s. Late 70s, you think of kind of garish butterfly collars and paisley prints and yeah well yeah i think the other thing is that you know when you've got a movie a studio film made in 1977 you know they've got costume designers and whatnot and in real life which is i feel like where everything in this movie comes from the sets and or not sets the houses or wherever they film i mean things you know people don't buy new stuff you know and people don't buy new clothes so it there's a lot of stuff left over from the late 60s i'm sure as far as um, you know, cars and uh, houses and clothing and things like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I found there's some interesting things about it. Uh, the black and white, I, I did like quite a bit. And of course, it does feel like a first time feature film. I mean, to give everybody a heads up, it does feel that way. It's not like it's not like it's you know this. It's not like Citizen Kane. Uh, no. And of course, it doesn't have that budget or anything either. It's not like that. But it does feel like a student film in some ways. But I still think it's pretty important for what it is uh charles burnett actually went on to make a film that i do like uh called the glass shield which i didn't oh, yeah. even i didn't know until i looked through his filmography if i'd seen anything else he'd done and i did i did like the glass shield that has elliot gould and uh, ice cube and that's one of my i gotta first. see that yeah. i that, that's one where i'd heard of 
killer sheep first. And so I went to see what Charles Burnett had done, and I was like, oh, the glass shield. I remember when it, it came out, or it, I don't know if it, when it came out, but I remember seeing that, and I was like, oh, that isn't Laurie Petty in that movie, yep. maybe? Yep. Yeah. 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 No, I got to see that. I really need to see it. It's, it's a good movie. Uh, it's got the old Michael Ironside in there, too. It's, it's a good movie. Uh not a great movie, but it's one of the you know one of those ones where I can really get behind. I mean, Ice Cube sometimes he can be really good as an actor, and sometimes he can be really awful. It just depends on the movie, yeah. really. And uh, he's pretty good in that one, I have to say. That's cool. So yeah, it's uh, definitely pretty interesting. <clears throat> all right, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, Brian. You got anything else? Well, I'm I'm done with all my notes. Go for it. Okay, okay. All right, I'll go over a few things. Uh, I read that, uh, and I'm not going to take credit for this, obviously. I'm not that kind of critic, but I had read that uh, <laughs> he uh, he uh, took a lot of influence from Italian neorealistic uh, cinema. So that really shines through quite a bit, actually, now that I think oh, about yeah. it. A little De Sica in there, a little Fellini. Oh, yeah. A little of that stuff's in there, man. Uh, you know, I didn't think so at first. I was like, oh, that's bullshit. And then we get the scene with a little girl wearing the fucking dog mask, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> this <laughs> this is just bizarre, you know? It did really feel, yeah, like like I couldn't. I mean, I've only seen the one to seek it from the Bicycle Thief, but I couldn't help when I had also heard that Sammy to really see that neo-realist kind of. I mean, like almost like documentary style feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it definitely, definitely. <laughs> no, has I totally a feel. see that now that you mentioned yeah. it. The film was made for about ten k, uh, so you know, it's in, in seventy seven. Nice. That's you know, that's a pretty good sum of money. It looks like he he stretched it about as far as he could. Uh, there is some trouble with the editing in some spots, I think. And, of course, you know, when you use non-actors a lot, you're going to run into a situation where there's a couple scenes where actors look at the camera. <laughs> but, hey, you know, I mean, yeah. that happens, you know. <laughs> I mean, still, you put together a movie, which is still an impressive feat, you know. Uh, how about that? How about that one guy sitting at the table uh, playing cards or whatever he's doing? Did he not look like Gator from fucking Truck Turner or something? Man? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With, the, with the headband on. Yeah, was, like the, the gauze on his head. I was yeah, I was sitting there thinking. Well, it was the guy sitting at the table. Mm-hmm. It was his. It was his uncle. That was the. He was the nephew of the guy sitting at the table. Oh, with right, the gauze right, on his yeah, head yeah. and stuff. That was a good scene. That was a fun scene. Just with that guy sort of laying on the floor and then wanting yeah. to buy the engine and him like not wanting to get up or whatever it was. Like yeah. you know. It was a weird scene yeah. too, though, because I kept thinking the other guy that was helping our lead was his that guy's hus- that girl's husband, and there this guy is his nephew laying on the ground, basically trying to hit on this lady. She's looking at the camera while she's talking. Uh, you know, Gators in the background thinking about taking out fruit stands. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we saw the truck turning truck. We saw the truck turner um, trailer at the grind box at the Tiff Bell Lightbox on the weekend, and I, I said, "Don Cool Cat," I'm like, "There's good old Gator driving like we know he would." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, worst worst driver in cinema history, right there. Such a great movie, man. Yeah. I love Uh The dirt clod fight, one of the first scenes where you see the kids playing and stuff. Now, did you guys, when you were growing up, did you throw dirt clods at each other, other uh, at friends yeah. and stuff? Did you guys do that too? Yeah. On occasion, yes, yes. Okay, so you guys know the pain of the person who decides to pick up the clod with the rock inside of it when the kid gets hit. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. an unwritten rule, man. You don't you, yeah. you kind of like give it a quick once over to make sure there's not like a rock in there, but yeah, yeah, you yeah. get one cocksucker who <laughs> like to play fast and loose with the rules. Yeah. Dude, nothing ends a rock uh, it's clod fight quicker than a rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. And you know, there, there's yeah. a, there's a, like you said there's cocksucker, but he's, you know, I always see it as kind of like a rebel move too. I mean, it's like, you know, fuck this. I'm going to hurt somebody. And it's like, what, why why would you do that, you know? You know, you see it as a rebel move. I see it as an asshole move. <laughs> either way, either way I'll agree with you. It's a pretty asshole move, especially if you know you're doing it. Now, if you did it unintentionally, obviously it's, you know, and that would happen. That would happen. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I threw a couple that had a rock in it. I didn't know. 
Fuck, because man. you get excited in the moment. You're yeah. a boy, right? You kind of get excited. And you're- well, it's a risky proposition anyway because you're a kid. And you're running around. You're just grabbing shit out of the ground. You don't know what you're grabbing, and you gotta, you know, you gotta play fast and loose with firing too. You can't hold back, yeah. or else you're gonna yeah. take some shots. Especially if you're out in the open. You know, you gotta be, you gotta be quick on the draw. You know, yeah. yeah. Uh, as they say in House of Pain, quick on the draw, like a horse named McGraw. Horse named McGraw. Yeah. <laughs> From the cartoon, <laughs> boom, shellac, lock, boom. <laughs> Sammy with a little rapping this morning. There we go. Nice. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I, I like the Dirt Cloud fight. I like all of the scenes with the kids playing because I show that as a great example of how kids get creative when they don't have anything. Uh, they'll go out and, and play in, like, empty lots where there's junk, and, and you know, they start getting creative like all like kids do, and they'll start to, you know, I mean, and Will's going to see this pretty soon. You know, your boy's moving around quite a bit. You know, you leave them out alone in a spot and you're watching them from a distance for a while. Watch them for a while. They'll start getting creative. They'll start figuring out ways to climb things and and do all oh, kinds of there. shit. Yeah, uh, they do all kinds of shit like that. And, uh, you know, that, I like that, you know, they, the kids all, you know, did that and stuff. And, 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 and actually, <laughs> I like the, also the touch where they, you know, they check on him, make sure he's okay. And then they start beating on him again. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> yeah. just kind of uh, having fun there. Um, there is a gifted eye. I mean, Burnett. Burnett's. Uh, he's not a. He's not a bad director. I mean, I told you he made the Glass Shield, which is a pretty solid movie, and looks like he made some other movies. I never saw the Annihilation of Fish, which is a pretty good title, but I never saw that. <laughs> oh, it's Lynn Grave, Lynn, Lynn Redgrave, and James Earl Jones. Looks like it's a uh, interracial romance type thing. Interesting. Rated R for sexual content. You telling me Lynn Redgrave and James Earl Jones get naked? I'm in. Nice. <laughs> wow. Margo Kidder's in it too. Done. Done. Yeah. <laughs> Old saddlebags. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I like to think of it as ski slopes. But, yeah, there, there you go. Uh, <laughs> for a student film, it's pretty impressive. You know, it's not like it's a Jim Morrison student film or something like that. I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive for some of the looks it has. And, and I like some of the statements about what poverty does to people, how it affects attitudes and, and stuff. I mean, even though he's a working man, you know, we got this thing in the States, we call it working poor. Anybody around the twenty to twenty-five thousand dollar a year to thirty, maybe even thirty thousand dollars a year uh, threshold down in the states that we kind of consider them by government standards. You might hear my dogs in the background. My wife just came home. Uh, my Labrador who can't keep his mouth shut. Uh, can you guys hear him? Yep. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> the working poor, anyway, is uh, <clears throat> man, my throat's bothering me this morning. Uh, it's a something we talk about down here and stuff, and it, it's, it's quite common actually. Um, you know, people who have to live off fast food. People who have to live by with you know the bare essentials and stuff. So, and of course, people who get rich off of those people doing the work for them. So, I find it interesting stuff. I mean, obviously, he has a good job working in a slaughterhouse and stuff. But I have this theory that people who work in the position of killing things, uh, that they have a issue with relationships anyway. Uh, I'll be honest with yes. you. I mean, I know that people have to. You know, there's somebody out there. Look, I eat meat. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not the fucking. I'm not going to come in here and say that I'm better than everybody and that I don't have to work in a slaughterhouse and it's awful. The reality of it is I rely on those slaughterhouses because I eat meat. But uh, at the same time, I have this theory that if you do that job day in and day out, you would, it seems like you would become emotionally distant after a while. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be tough. Because, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. I mean, I, I know I'm pretty sure all three of us eat meat in some regard. Uh, I don't know if Brian does. He's out there in L.A. He might be, a, might be, one, of the, <laughs> might be one of those guys. <laughs> well, I, I do a little bit. I try not to eat too much. So you know, you wouldn't be down with the veal if you came to my house then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I might, I might, uh, you know, once in a while. Yeah. Okay, well, understood, understood. And uh, you know, I'm not making fun of anybody. It's just the way it is, and everybody can eat what they want to oh, eat. Oh no, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just feel like you know, if if I had to go to work every day and my job was to uh, you know slaughter, and I don't think you do it every day, but if I you know one day or two days a week, I had to slaughter a bunch of animals, uh, 
I guarantee you I'd eventually stop eating meat. <laughs> uh, as much as that sounds crazy, but uh, I would probably stop. Um, but yeah, those scenes are kind of harsh. So, and, you know, I just want to give a warning because some people probably won't dig that. Uh, so I don't want to say we didn't, you know, give you the warning that that stuff's in there. <laughs> uh, okay, so a couple other scenes I'll talk about. Would you like sh- a little sugar on your cereal, perhaps? You know. Oh my God. <laughs> here's the thing. I- I've grown up in the here's I've grown up in the South. So, so uh, sugar is uh, is is like a food group down here, and uh, and the truth of the matter is, I can actually remember growing up. My grandmother had diabetes, and I can remember growing up, and uh, we she would fix me cereal in the mornings, and this is no fault of her own. This is just the way things were, and uh, she would actually put more sugar on my frosted flakes, just like that kid did. Not that much, but she would still put more sugar on there. You know, and now as I've gotten older, I realize there's plenty of sugar on frosted flakes. You really don't need to add any. But it makes it sense to me now why I love Frosted Flakes so much as a kid because sugar to children is like, you know, it's like crack cocaine. Mm-hmm. And the more you get, the more you want. So, uh, you know, I can remember that my grandmother would put extra sugar on just about everything. And uh, that's, that's just the way it goes, you know. That's why she was diabetic. Uh, that, that reminded me, sorry to cut you off to me, of a guy that I knew that when he would make Kool-Aid. Because remember, we, I don't know if this is still this way. I love Kool-Aid, but... They used to have it, so you'd have to put in the sugar yourself. They probably have it mixed yeah. now. But that, this is back in the day, you need to put the sugar in yourself. I, I'm not shitting you, man. I used to know this guy. He would put a whole fucking bag of sugar <laughs> yeah. in one pitcher, man. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I like things very sweet. I mean, I know I like things a lot sweeter than Will does. I know that if I, if I make Kool-Aid or tea or something, uh, I put way too much sugar in there, so I don't even make it anymore. I buy it pre-made because... Uh, they seem to control their sugar more than I do. I seem to have a uh, lack of control. It's like, eh, there's not enough in there. So, you know, it's like, you know, it's like if it's a 12 ounce bucket, I got three ounces of water and tea in there and, you know, <laughs> nine ounces of fucking sugar. Sludge, man. <laughs> yeah. At the bottom, there's like this is big gathering of dust. It's like, what the hell's that? It's like, oh, that's the sugar, man. We got to shake it up a little bit. Uh, do uh, liquor stores in Canada cash checks? Uh, no one cashes checks, and I think I've talked to you about this, maybe with you, Sammy, or maybe, I don't know, one of you Americanos, how I think it's so absurd that, like, you can go to the grocery store in the States and yeah. pay by check. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's got to be the most inefficient method, because you're chasing motherfuckers down for, like, $10. You're you're spending more to chase the money down than yeah. the check's worth. So, most places here, man, if it's not credit card or, like, debit card or Interact, whatever you guys call it in the States... Mm-hmm forget it man you're not getting it but uh no we don't cash uh checks well, yeah. anywhere except the bank <laughs> they still cash checks and of course they still cash checks in liquor stores uh in poor parts of town and uh, you know there's a theory as to why they do that you know people yeah uh but they still do it i still have people who work for me actually who still uh get off work and go cash their check at the grocery store immediately they have to have that money immediately so very weird um okay i've talked about the acting i'm kind of going through my notes here Again, that guy playing solitaire at the table reminded me of Gator. Uh, uh, I actually like that. The, there's just there's just some film school stuff in here, and I don't want to criticize too much because I've never made a film, so I can't really say a whole lot. But uh, there's some stuff in here that I don't really understand why it was done. Maybe if you really look deep enough, you can find some reasoning. Like the scene where they're moving the motor out of the apartment down to the truck. I guess. You know, they show the whole moving of the motor. I guess maybe to show it, maybe to show the struggle or something. Maybe there's something going on there. But part of me thinks, you know, you could have just, you know, had them walk out of the door, cut, have them putting it in the truck. Yeah, but you wouldn't, I think you nailed it. You wouldn't have understood the struggle that goes into that. Like, yeah, he's got a motor, but it's not like he can just go down to the, the, the you know, the 
the shop and and they install it for him. Like that that whole process is is laborious and yeah. you know and I that, think that he wanted to kind of uh, punctuate that. And I think there's a lot being said about in that scene. There's a lot being said about his character, the lead's character, Stan, and that uh, he you know he he makes this investment. He's going to take it home, and I don't know what he's going to do with it and stuff. But then he. <laughs> He drops it out of the back of the truck, and he just has to leave it. And it seems like a lot of things in his life that he's wanted, he just seems, seems to have to walk away from. So I think you're right. I think there's more of that scene than me. I think you can look at it in a literal sense and take it on the surface as just the, the, the plight or the struggle that kind of summarizes things quite nicely. But I think also looking at that as as bigger meaning for, yeah, like a lot of things in Stan's life. Yeah. I think it it's really works. For me, it worked well on a lot of levels. Yeah. That's probably my favorite scene in the movie, actually. It, it is a soul-crushing moment. I love when filmmakers can take things that really aren't that big a deal and invest you enough emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've probably said this on the other, that, that great scene in the Jim Sheridan film in America where um, they're at the carnival. Yeah. And uh, what's his name there? Our boy. Uh, oh, fuck. Uh, Patty Constantine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Patty Constantine. He's he's trying to knock over the uh, those milk cans because uh, oh, yeah. he's desperate to get his two daughters a stuffed animal and and he keeps just just about winning and finally he's at the point where he he is so desperate to get his girls these stuffed animals that he want he he gambles the the rent money and it, it, you think you stupid asshole but he's in that moment he so desperately wants this for his daughters that it became one of the most tense moments in film for me like you know it's kind of like that with this like. Who would think an engine falling off the back of a truck would be a little bit soul-crushing? But in this, it is because it kind of, yeah, like you said, totally summarizes kind of everything, really. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a pretty good moment. But I mean, the movie is full of melancholy. This isn't the kind of movie you're going to sit down and watch and and come away from thinking. You know, I mean, you might come away from thinking it was powerful. You might come away from thinking it was good. It was. It looked great. It was interesting. But I don't think you'll come away from it thinking. Hey, you know, I'm going to go out and <laughs> have some fun right now. I'm going to go out and have a dirt clod fight at 37 years old. I don't think it's that kind of movie, you know. We need to have more dirt clod fights in our 30s. <laughs> yeah, it's like that uh, in the States, they got a Geico commercial, like having a snowball fight with Randy Johnson is not a good idea. So there we go. But that's my thoughts on Killer Sheep. We'll see what you got to say, Will. Okay, I'll try to keep it tight here. Um, you know, the thing I like about the dirt clod scene is, is how it's revealed. We get this, this boy who keeps looking behind, like, he he's behind a wooden plank and or like a like a plywood sheet or something and he keeps darting his head behind it kind of almost you know in this kind of stuttery kind of way and you think what the fuck is he doing and then finally you kind know, of the camera pulls out and revealed and it is the dirt cloud fight so I, I kind of like that that payoff for that reveal yeah um, one of the things I agree with you guys in terms of the flaws or the faults of the film meaning some of the non actors and some of the dialogue did feel. Uh, I could kind of feel it in spots there. Um, I was willing to overlook it because I think the, the the poetry or lyricism of of the stuff that Burnett was really trying to say really did move me. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say this from a technical standpoint, I think Burnett is at his best from a cinematography standpoint when he's dealing with movement, specifically the movement of the children. Like two moments that come to mind for me are like I just I love that shot when the boy it's on the poster, which I actually want to buy the poster. I think it's a fantastic poster where it's the boys coming over that dirt hill with the palm trees in the background. It's almost like, and I think that moment works so well as a metaphor for for that whole struggle is here they are playing in the fucking, this like wasteland dirt. And just in the background is the palm trees and the houses. Yeah. It's just right there. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I just I love that moment. It's almost like it's it's just slowed down just to touch. And we can kind of see them coming over the hill and and the movement and all the the limbs going everywhere and and just kind of that joyous energy of of uh, of children. Um, and then later on in the film, when I'm trying to remember, I'm just trying to find my note now to tie it in with it. Um, oh, it, it, when uh, the boys, there's a couple of them on the bike, and there's a car coming the other way, and and it's kind of shot really low, and the bike falls over, and they get off, and then it kind of has them running around the corner by the picket fence, and it's shot low, and just again that movement, the way it's moving, I think he really captures that energy of of uh, what it is to be a child, right? You know, and be right. playing. Yeah, it, just, it definitely has that energy to it. Um, I really, uh, yeah, and just all the shots of the kids, like you said, hanging around, nothing to do, you know, or improvising. I just, I really, really love those moments. And, and I just think that the thing I take away most from this is the purity of it, the purity of what he's saying. And, and it, it's, it's, un, you know, and, and a lot of films maybe are a little more angry about the plight of, um, of the poor or, or whatever the case may be, but I think this film, and I'm not, you know, good or bad, you know, talking about the, the politics of it, but uh, this film just feels very, very much just, just it's, it's yeah, more about the melancholy, and it, 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 it doesn't take an angry stance or, or anything, it's just kind of an observation, Yeah, you know what I mean? And I think the thing I love about this film is, you know, those pure moments, like you said, the girl wearing the hound dog mask, and just these things that, that just... I don't know. I can't really verbalize it, but it's almost like they did with shotgun stories. I think you see, like you know, sometimes they would go for like the you know other films would go for kind of the, the cheap and easy, um, almost like black humor moments of, and I mean, of course, the color black, right. like black humor moments uh, with like just summarizing white trash, quote unquote. But uh -huh. they they never did that. They had more respect for their characters, much like Burnett does for the characters in this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, he was a younger man when he made this film. I think he was a student, right? So, yeah. I mean, you know, he was going for something totally different, you know, so that yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. I don't know if I can, I can come back with it, but I, I mean, I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah, just yeah. He, he just has more respect for his characters that, you know, than to just summarize them with kind of an easy joke or an easy, you know, thing that just, they're, they're it's, it's bigger than that. I mean, um, and I love the stuff actually with the slaughterhouse when Stan's working in the slaughterhouse and it's it's kind of got that orchestral score at times and yeah there's the stuff in the slaughterhouse is a bit harsh but I think that's part of the thing life is harsh and we talk about the sheep and we kind of discuss that off the air um, and just some of the little the very small touches in the film that I think were just they're just real life and, and that's when the woman's cooking and she's looking in the, the reflection of the pot to kind of primp and prune and and she puts the lid on the pot and it's it's mismatched like it's it's a pot like a lid from another pot but she has to use it because that's what she's got right right you know i just i really love that moment and um uh, i talked about yeah this the landscape it's, it's it's almost like what did i watch the other day oh i watched that movie that documentary the the police tapes and just seeing like new york city or or la at this time man like what a fucking wasteland. Like, I, I just can't believe that. How, what a sheen, you know, we've put on things nowadays, or at least to a degree. I mean, there's a lot of places that still look, you know, pretty rough uh, in terms of, you know, the buildings. and. Well, I think the difference is, is nowadays, though, too, is filmmakers don't shoot in those ends of towns. It's, it's, it's like, you know, if, if somebody was to make a post-apocalyptic movie now, they'd shoot it in, like, the nicest part of town, just dirty it up a little bit, as opposed yeah. to going to the... Because, you know, those parts are still out there. I can take you to parts of the city I'm from. I can take you to parts of the city I'm from, and you'd be amazed at some of the, 
you know, dilapidated buildings and terrible looking stuff. I mean, we got some bad looking stuff here and, you know, that's where some poverty is hit and, and stuff. Yeah, no, that's true. And you can that's do that still, but it just seems like nowadays nobody really goes for the character of a setting very much anymore. No, you're right. It's just you know, to shoot it on a lot or CGI or just dirty up in, in a clean part of town or dirty up Toronto. Yeah, yeah, and then that's the uh, that's the issue, right? And so you know, you get some places like uh, I'm trying to think, like you go some filmmakers, I should say, like Michael Mann and stuff, who make uh, you what you can say. I know you're not a big Michael Mann fan. Neither one of you guys, I think, are big Michael Mann fans. But what you guys can't probably not argue is, is that you know he he can make a city look like one of the most enticing places to live. Uh, he makes Chicago look good. He makes L.A. look good. I mean, he makes these places look good. I often wonder why don't he try to do something a little different outside of that. Yeah, no, he does shoot uh, nighttime in cities, uh, wet nighttime in cities very well. I have yes, to, wet, you're right, wet roads. <laughs> and I have to uh, <laughs> kind of give him that. Um, uh, there's a moment, it's actually one of the kind of smoother or kind of impressive kind of like uh, transition shots where it shows a little girl chewing and then it transitions into a woman chewing. And you can tell she's kind of gazing off, thinking about her life and kind of lamenting on kind of broken dreams and things like that. And, uh-huh. I really like that moment. Is say this is kind of the full circle here. Yeah, you know, and I just thought it again. They're kind of a, a tender, a, a, a moment, kind of steeped in melancholy. Um, one of my favorite lines in the film, and I think it's something that I guess kind of maybe spoke to me, even you know, growing up uh, in the lower middle class or whatever you want to say, mm-hmm. was uh, the moment when um, I can't remember how they got to this point. But he's talking about being poor. And he says, poor? He goes, we're not poor. He goes, we give to the Salvation Army. How can you give to the Salvation Army if you're poor? And I just, I really, really love that moment in the film. Right, right. Uh, it, it just, you know, uh, it, was, it was really poignant. Um, uh, I'll talk about the, the slow dance scene actually a little bit later on. Um, I just, you know, the thing I take away from it is just the sadness and kind of the weight that Stan feels. You really feel the weight that he feels, kind of the broken dreams, the what-ifs, the almosts. Um, and I think really the film strengths lies in that poignancy and and the sadness and uh, like like I just said the poetry and kind of the lyricism that I think is rare in a lot of films and and as much as I love black exploitation films as much as they're great a lot of times they were sensationalized to be almost like uh, urban superheroes and and in some ways if I'm going to be even more cynical about it to capitalize by white people on on a market that was crying out for an identity or 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 uh, a face uh, in cinema and I think this film rings true without being political or angry it's just observational and, and like I said most certainly melancholy but I think um, I think again to, to bang that drum again just the tenderness of it right. uh, really strikes me with this film so I'll, uh, I'll kick it over to you guys for uh, make a rakes MVTs etc. Alright Brian I'll let you go first there. Okay um, well I think for my make or break like I said I really love the, uh, the scene of the little girl uh, singing, I think that's probably my favorite scene in the movie. Though, though there are all the scenes you guys have talked about, there's some really cool mm-hmm. little moments. In a poetic film like this, there's going to be a lot of moments. Um, and I think MVT, I'm going to give it to Henry Sanders. Um, okay. Something about him just really c- keeps you in the movie. You know, he's he conveys that melancholy pretty well, I have to say. And a score, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10, but I'm going to say that... Uh, I know that score is going to go up because, okay. uh, like I said, I had to break it up so the impact was lessened. But I'm, I'm really want to show it to my wife, uh, so I'm pretty sure I'll do that, and I'm pretty sure that this will be a film that will grow on me, and the score will go up each time I watch it. Yeah, 
Understood, understood. Uh, my MVT is also, well, it's not, it's also, but it's Burnett, actually. I don't know why I said also. What the fuck's wrong with me? But anyway, uh, I really like, uh, you know, the. you can see that it's his project from the get-go. Uh, the acting is good from the lead, but uh, some of the other acting kind of struggles a little bit, as it does in these amateur kind of productions and stuff. So I really think Burnett did a good job of holding it all together. Um, my favorite scene is obviously the, I talked about a little bit, the motor moving scene. Uh, and especially the scene where they have to drive away from the motor on the concrete, just because there's something about that that really just kind of speaks everything about this character and what he's going through. So I find that very interesting. And uh, my score is also a 7 out of 10. I think it's a very important film. Don't know how often I'd revisit it. Uh, don't know. I mean, I don't know. I just don't know how I feel about that, uh, the entertainment value. But I think it's also it's one of those kind of movies that's important. I think people should see it. Uh, yeah. but I just don't know how many people will revisit it often. I actually will. I've seen it actually multiple times, and some other people might have seen it multiple times, but I just don't know if it's that kind of movie. But it is an important movie, so I'll give it a straight 7 out of 10. Your thoughts, Large William? Okay. Uh, you know what I think is interesting? I think a lot of us tend to be uh, in agreement on usually a make-or-break scene. And I think it's funny because now I'll say my scene, and we each of us has a different scene that really made it for us. Yeah, yeah, it's very. I interesting. think this is very telling. My scene is. Uh, sorry, did I cut you off there, Sam? No, 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 no. I'm saying that I agree with you. I, I knew that your scene was going to be different as well, and I think that's a mark of a good film when you get three different people seeing a movie and they got three different scenes they like. It spoke to them, yeah, in different ways. Uh, it, it, for me, it was the scene with the slow dance with the husband and wife, and that song that's played a few times in the film. I think to great great effect it's that song this bitter earth mm-hmm. and uh i gotta tell you man like that that moment it's just again it's this very poignant moment it's it's like you feel these two very bruised people i think it's just a, it's a beautiful and a beautifully sad moment in the film because it's about you kind of see both of them have, are kind of living this life with a lot of broken dreams you know you can kind of see that Stan although he's a good person and he's a family man he sort of feels a sense of duty and responsibility and he loves his family he's kind of been crushed by the weight of life and his wife's constantly calling out for his affection and it's not always reciprocated so when they can share that tender quiet moment and it, it kind of you know encapsulates everything because at the end of the moment he kind of um, you know he, he's kind of uh, just the weight of everything's kind of gotten to him but that song I think is a beautiful song oh, gosh I can't remember who sung it now um Billy Hall, out of the gosh, uh, Washington. I can't remember now, but a beautiful song, a very tender, poignant moment um, that I really, really loved. MVT's Burnett. Um, yeah, I mean, $10,000, first film. Like I said, I think I can certainly see some of our uh, listeners not liking this film uh, or thinking, you know, it's not really for them. Other ones, I think you can, and I think the biggest thing certainly is the importance of the film, but. Um, my score of the film is a little higher than your guys. I think you probably knew it was going to be. Yeah. Um, I give it an 8 uh, out of 10. Uh, I, I really, really enjoy this film. And I, I think it's, you know, like I said, there's just there's moments in the poetry and the lyricism of this film. And just how pure it is to me. Uh, I, I really admire that. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's it. All right. So that is our thoughts on... Killer Sheep. I had a, <laughs> had a moment there where I lost my mind. All right, that is our thoughts on Killer Sheep. Uh, we're going to take a break and come back and talk about some heavenly bodies. So we'll be back. Nice. <laughs> right after the, we'll be back right after this. Mm-hmm. 
This is Alyssa from Big Red Podcast, inviting you to listen to our show about pop culture, TV, and cool stuff that we talk about every week. Right, Derek? Well, you know you love it, and we talk about it. And if you haven't been listening, here's what you've been missing out on. And by a lot, I mean there are several shows to talk about, none of which were especially good. You know, it seems mostly, uh, what I'm learning is a lot of things to take a lesson from One Tree Hill, and I never thought I'd say that. He also has a magnificent head of hair. Yes. Oh, thank you. Naked Viking, whatever. And as with Lost, the flashbacks aren't interesting at this point. <laughs> Uh, I'm just hoping that uh, it won't break my heart like heroes. Like punch a dinosaur in the face. Yes, the mother was was insane and bizarre and apparently high, I'm guessing. I learned a lesson today about karma. The man who can't feel pain shouldn't be dealing with hot liquids and whatever. Right, hitting an old man. And why are you not winning? So listen to Big Red Podcast if you like TV and junk on TV because we totally watch it and talk about it. So you don't have to. Find us at BigRedPodcast.com or check us out in the iTunes store. Music guest song actually kind of fits the movie a little bit in a weird way. So, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say nice, kind of weird. I, I made those breaks like actually two weeks ago, so I don't know. I'm trying to think how that would have worked for the uh, Spaghetti Western show, but hey, there you go. <laughs> As you can see, that's why I went well, back. Angel, to- Angel Eyes, I guess, but <laughs> yeah. I would never want to see Lee Van Cleef in a, a Playgirl centerfold. Oh that's man, for no sure. way. <laughs> oh man, Ooh, talk about an image. Wow. <laughs> Although if you dress him up like an Egyptian cat, you might get away with something there. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> of his, uh, excuse me, feline sensibilities there. All right, so our next film is Heavenly Bodies from 1984. Uh, Rupert picked this, so I'm going to let him synopsize and stuff, and then we'll get to talking about it. Um, there's a good little synopsis on IMDb here. It says a small dancer size studio fights for its existence against the unscrupulous owner of a rival club. The conflict boils down to a dance marathon to settle the score. That's pretty much it. Yes. All right. So I'm trying to eat and review a film at the same time. Very, very professional. <laughs> what are you eating? Um, a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit. Nice. <laughs> yes. Delicious. Anyway, back on point. And it's, it trust me, it's a heavenly body. And it's not making my body look too heavenly. <laughs> uh, um, okay, so we'll get into this a little bit. So, a long time ago, I can't remember when, but I think Brian, I thought you brought this up to me a long time ago, I believe. Yeah, you know what? This is funny. I remember one of my early call ins to The Gentleman's Guide, I, I was talking about this movie. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about it off and on since. I mean, if anybody follows us on Twitter and stuff, you'll see me and Brian all the time are saying, hey, did you ever see this? And. And you know that's oh, what yeah. we, that's what we usually <laughs> that's how we usually do it. And you'll see films pop up and all kinds of weird things and all kinds of weird films. And this was one that kept popping up. So I asked Brian what he was going to pick, and he said, "You know, I think I'm going to go with Heavenly Bodies." And I was like, "Hey, 
No, all the reason to watch it. I thought I had seen Heavenly Bodies, but I was wrong. But <laughs> nice. but now I'm very thankful that I've seen Heavenly Bodies because <laughs> in some ways it's kind of it's it's pretty special. Uh, it's, it's got it got some it's got some interesting things in. Okay, so uh, I'll talk a little bit about the phenomenon of these kind of movies. First of all, not only is it you know stuck on what it's stuck on, like the like dancer size or aerobics and stuff like that, you got that pop culture moment. But it's also got that pop culture moment of everybody saving the rec center thing. It's got that yeah. whole, it's got that whole thing going for it, you know, the whole Revenge of the Nerds saving things, and and of course Breaking Two is infamous, and you know, and there's so many films out there where in the '80s it seemed like everybody was getting together to save something, which is really weird because you don't really see that to save anything anymore. There's no no, no real camaraderie or teamwork in modern film. Yeah. <laughs> so Cynthia Dale, do you guys uh, recognize her? <clears throat> yeah, she's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah, yes. she was in. I was just looking it up. My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, it will. Might remember her from that. Yeah, she was in that. And I remember thinking she was attractive in that. And then, of course, to see her in this, and she really did something for me in this film. I don't know what it was, but uh, maybe it was the costumes, the outfits. <laughs> you know who she reminds me of is uh, a lot is like uh, Jessica Harper. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're right about that. Actually, yeah, I didn't really think about that. But I really liked her in this film. I, I think she really owns this movie. I think I even told uh, uh, Brian that on off the air. I think I told him that. Oh, I think I told him that in text message. Actually, yeah. <laughs> when we're not actually talking to each other in public on the Twitter, we're text messaging each other on phone. So there you go. <laughs> um, how about the you know the, the, you get the movie posters in the opening? I always get nostalgic when I see those movie posters. I can remember going to the movies when I was a kid and seeing Flashdance, and I think what was the other two? There were two other ones in there. Star Star Eighty and Wolf. Never yeah. Never Cry Wolf. Was, uh, yeah. Never Cry Wolf. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Charles Martin Smith who directed Trick or Treat? Oddly, but uh, that's right. It's really weird to see those movies. And of course, you know, I'm actually one of those few kids who had. I was pretty lucky with my parents. I actually saw Star Eighty at the movies. With my mom oh, and dad, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I had some I had some interesting experiences growing up. I saw Flashdance as well, and I saw I don't think I saw Never Cry Wolf. I didn't see that, but uh, I always wanted I, to see that. <laughs> sorry, I just want to say I love that um, that Samantha Cynthia's character. She looks at the Flashdance poster, and it's all, it's almost like a meta moment. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think it's I think it's a statement being said there. Yeah. Oh, for sure, dude. They park her in front of those that marquee or the posters. Because sure. you know, me and me and Brian were just kind of talking about it before we started recording here. That you know, Flashdance. I, I argue that it's one of the most influential films of the '80s, and uh, you know, it doesn't mean it's a good movie because it's not really a good movie. But it's certainly you know you can't help but talk about its influence on uh, cinema and stuff. And I think wasn't that a Bruckheimer film? Wasn't Flashdance a Bruckheimer and Simpson film? Wasn't that the film yeah, that really got sure. him going? I think. I think it is. Yeah, I think it, it actually is the film that really got him going. And I know Will's always said, and a lot of people say this, that Spielberg ruined Hollywood, but I've always argued that Bruckheimer and them, and actually I think probably the biggest person that ruined Hollywood was actually George Lucas. But, uh, they, but you know, because Spielberg's so affiliated with him, it's easy to tie him to that, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, they they were making a statement there, and I still think that, you know, Flashdance is not a good movie, but an influential movie. I think that's two different things, so... Yeah, and I would go so far as to say that Flashdance sucks. I'm not a fan. <laughs> but Jennifer just, Beals is gorgeous. Let's yes. just she's, she no, she's very cute and and uh, I thought you we were talked gonna, about. Sorry. No, I, I was going to say I was trying to cut in there. I thought Will was going to say that Michael Nuri was cute, but you know. Hey. Well, he is. But I like him better in uh, what's that one? Hidden. Um, <laughs> it's the one where the aliens are obsessed with like Lamborghinis and like. Um, <laughs> it's called the Hidden. That's, yes. The Hidden. Yeah, that's fucking. Good. That that's, that is a GGTMC movie, man. Oh yeah. For sure, that's a really cool movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but 
Yeah, I was watching Flashdance in part because we, you know, we talked about Night in Heaven, uh, which we're gonna that'll come out soon, right, Rick? That, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just haven't had space to put it out. It's a big episode. The movie. Oh no, no, sure, for sure. But but <laughs> but we sort of covered that territory in that episode. Just the influence of Saturday Night Fever through movies like Night in Heaven and Flashdance, which is definitely influenced by Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, it was really um, it was really weird watching back to back watching movies. Uh, like Night in Heaven and Heavenly Bodies, and I'm thinking here, what's the next Heaven movie I'm going to watch where people are dancing and sweating? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, I just, it's, it's just a shame to me to, to look at Flashdance and see, it's just not, it's not very fun. It's, it's, it tries to be gritty, but it's not interesting. I don't think at all. Right. And right. this movie is so much more lighthearted and fun. I just, how can you not? If you're in the right frame of mind, how can you not enjoy this movie? Right. Right. Uh, that goes into some of the stuff I'll talk about here. The innocence of uh, cinema in the 80s. Uh, I always like, if there's anything that ever takes me back nostalgia-wise when it comes to movies, it's usually the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Because uh, there's just this this innocence to it. You know, nobody's talking about AIDS. Nobody's talking about uh, some of the serious social social problems we were having. It seems like people are mostly past, <laughs> even though there's still some very hard racial uh, stereotypes in some of these movies. Not this one in particular, but some of them. Uh, it seems like everybody was getting along in the early 80s, and it just seems like cinema, for some reason, was really kind of... Uh, it was kind of a happy place to go, even if uh, some of the movies were dark or kind of weird. This one isn't dark and weird, but, well, actually, I'll say it is kind of weird, but... It is fucking weird <laughs> in spots. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it's like it was a glorious time, and you can really kind of look at that as, you know, the times we were living at the time. I mean, everything was kind of on the up and up in the early 80s, so or at least everybody thought, you know, it was the... Uh, the me decade, the you know gluttonous decade. So everybody was happy and excited and and stuff. And I think it kind of comes through in cinema at the time that you know people just weren't really worried about a lot. And it kind of takes me back to being a child. It really does because I've talked about this with slasher films. There's something about that innocence of storytelling, the way it's told is so simple that I always enjoy. And this film's the same way. You take a simple uh, you take a simple logic and you just kind of follow it through. I mean, this is a very simple film. Girl opens up dance studio. You know, this is back when Jane Fonda had huge hits with her VHS tapes, and everybody was dancer sizing and aerobicizing, and uh, and you know she's you know successful. It gets into a little bit of trouble. Uh, you know, like all common people, she decides you know she wants to save it, so they have a dance-a-thon. I mean, that's what I did back in the eighties. I don't know what you guys were doing, <laughs> but I would always. I, in my notes, in my notes, I said you know I wish more disputes were settled with dance-a-thons. Well, I don't know how they do it in the States. That's how we roll. I mean, this is a Canadian <laughs> film. It kind of is based on the Canadian philosophy of, of dispute resolution. Yes. Nice. Yes, yes. And it's odd because I watched this movie with a dance-a-thon in it and stuff, and then I watched, uh, was it this week's Community, I think? They had a pop and lock contest. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in that, in that show, they were <laughs> popping and locking for hours on end. So just really weird how they kind of came together. This isn't a typical GGTMC film. What I love about sometimes bringing Rupert and Alex on is that you never know what you're going to get. It adds a <laughs> it, adds, it adds a new dimension to the show, and oh, not, yeah. not only in the reviews but in the films they choose. So, I'll be honest. I, I the only way we would ever pick this is if somebody won, would have won listener content, or if it was just something we had to see. But this isn't typical of something we would actually choose. And, yeah. uh, and again, it's one of the reasons why I love doing the show. Um. When you go into this uh, film, you don't expect a scene where a mom explains the uh, definition of orgies to her son. And, and you don't expect that 
you know, the, the worst pajamas ever put on a child, especially a boy. <laughs> and you don't expect this scene to end with the mother lamenting, your mom hasn't had much of anything lately. Like, you're just openly confessing that you're longing for cock to your seven-year-old son. <laughs> That's not creepy. That was there's, a few, there's a few creepy, like moments like that with the sun that are just really bizarre and awkward <laughs> there are i you know i don't know I don't, I don't recall i've had a lot of conversations with my mother growing up but i never remember her explaining orgies to me uh, i was lucky yeah. enough to have tinto brass explain orgies to me when i saw caligula <laughs> but uh <laughs> which i saw i managed to rent that tell my mom it was a historical epic and my mom was like oh, oh he's learning he's learning about uh roman culture how interesting did you did you rent Salon Kitty under the same premise? Yeah, I, I don't think I ever got around to renting it. I've seen it recently, but I've never I've never rented that one. But I would always do that to my mother. I was always very sly. I would always say, "Oh, this one's about you know Caligula. He was a Roman emperor, and he did this and he did that." My mom was like, "Oh, my boy is so smart. I'm so impressed. I'm going to rent this for you. You're such a good kid." And I was like, "Yes." But it came. It, would get, it got more and more difficult when I would rent stuff like sexual encounters of the third kind and shit like that. So. You know, a- a- alien porn even didn't get past my mother. So, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, uh, football players. I'm going to have to say, I think that was Large William in the front in the gray. I'm not positive, <laughs> but, you know, I've been around him and stuff. It looked a little bit like Large William. I'm just going to say that there. Well, I have to confess. <laughs> the cat's out of the bag, but I do want to say one of those football players looked like Mike Abbott, who always plays the second or third villain in Indonesian action films. He's the guy that has a mustache and he's really big. Oh, yeah. And uh, he's always in Indonesian films. Man, it looked like fucking Mike Abbott. I wish it was Mike Abbott, but I don't think it was. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I have to let both of you guys know that you both bring out the beast in me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, what a song. Yeah, one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie, and you'll hear me talk about it more. One of? (laughs) Yeah, one of. That crosscut scene between uh, where they're working out and and you know he's fantasizing about sex and obviously either the, the scene is real which I think it is or he's fantasizing about it being real and uh, I really like that scene a lot I like that the crosscutting between the exercise the sweaty exercise and of course the sweaty sex because it is pretty sweaty <laughs> oh and, yeah and of course the the Bonnie yeah. the Bonnie Porter song which you know if everybody sticks around they'll hear at the end of the show today it's uh. <laughs> It's really kind of special, and I really like that scene. That's probably my favorite scene in the movie, so I'll probably talk about it more a little bit later. So, um, But most uh, most people don't know this, actually, but uh, Brian does now, and actually Alex does now, too, that you know, a requirement to get into the GGMTs means you actually have to take classes like these, just like those football players. <laughs> and uh, you have to have half shirts. It's very important yes. that you – it's very important that you, uh, you know, you don't really – you don't want to groom the back hair too much. Uh, you know, you want to be careful there, but you got to take these classes. Also, very weird scene. In modern society, do you think a girl, a girl, a female-ran business, they would hire a female stripper to come in and taunt a bunch of football players? Well, not just that, <laughs> but I love that it's like this like leather S&M stripogram <laughs> where all it really was was, I mean, especially if you're starting out with business, call me nitpicky, but I think hiring this like S&M a stripogram to get naked in, in your class probably isn't the most cost-effective way of telling the guy to fuck off, but you know, <laughs> makes for a great spectacle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I was going to say in my notes, I love the uh, the tradition in eighties films of you know the gorilla gram, which oh, or yeah. the stripogram. You know, like that, that's the kind of stuff you saw in movies a lot. 
Yeah. And that, you know, you don't feel like they put in movies anymore. And I always thought that was kind of funny. Well, no. Like the gorilla gram that he sends is actually pretty funny. Yeah, not My only that. Liked it, yeah. Yeah, not only that, but I mean, it's just that kind of, you know, sex, sexual uh, escapades in the 70s obviously were, were pretty abundant. And I, I kind of love that sex is, you know, it, it's really frowned upon now in modern cinema, it seems. It seems like, you know, you can you can blow people away, you can do everything, but you can if you if you start getting into weird sexual situations, it immediately turns stuff into like stuff nobody should see, especially American cinema. I don't know. I guess Canadian cinema, you could say this too, because it's North American cinema. But it seems like you know, as I've always said, you know, the Europeans and and it seems like every other country, sex isn't that big an issue. Uh, now, obviously, that doesn't mean take your kids out and show them fucking porn, but it does. It does seem kind of weird to me. I grew up with a lot of sex in movies. It's the 70s and the early 80s. I mean, there's a lot of sex in movies. Let's be honest. Revenge of the Nerds is a total sex movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Porky's. Uh, yeah. One of my favorite movies of all times is Porky's. And that's fucking, it's all about getting laid. Uh, I mean, many of those movies. I watch, I love those movies, actually. And I talked about that when I talked about when I watched Weekend Pass. I mean, I love those movies where a bunch of guys get together just to go lose their virginity or, or something. Because it's kind of like a rite of passage, right? And you saw a little bit of resurgence of that with American Pie and things like that. But... It's it's just it's it's so weird to me, and this is just another example to me of how sex has been taken out of movies. Like it seems like they put sex in movies only when it's like an erotic thriller, or you know, it's blah blah blah. You know, it, it, there's not movie to me. This movie is much about as much about sexiness as it is about uh, dancer size or whatever you want to call it. Uh, well, I was going to say, Rick, you were talking about the innocence of '80s cinema, and uh, you know, a movie like American Pie and its descendants. I feel like. It's it's much more mean spirited in a lot of ways uh-huh. than say a Porky's or Range of the Nerds. I think. I mean, th- those movies have some meanness in them, but they're ultimately sweet films. Right. And I I really miss that. I, I don't know why that went away. I guess it's becoming more cynical as a society or whatever. Oh, for sure. It it has to be that. It has to be that. You know, I think we're very Puritan down here in the states, and of course, you know, I mean, as as we go along here, it's like. I think people are so worried about their teenage boy, and rightfully so, teenage boys and girls getting pregnant before their time and things like that. They feel like if they show them all this sex, that you know that's going to happen. But I got news for them. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you're a teenager, uh, trust me, the thoughts of sex they come pretty naturally. You don't really need movies to think about it. Uh, I don't know about you, guys, but when I was growing up, it, it, I didn't need a lot of movies to remind me that I thought some girl was hot. Once I woke up one day and said, "Wow, that girl's got a nice ass," and I thought, "Why the hell am I thinking that? Girls are gross." You know, you just you just have this sudden realization all of a sudden that like whoa, something changed really quickly, and um, you know it didn't take movies for me to realize women. It took you know women for me to realize women. So uh, I just find it odd that you know they take they take all that stuff out, and it's probably my biggest complaint about modern cinema is the lack of sexiness in modern cinema. There's just I just don't think cinema is very sexy anymore. No, I agree. This is my opinion, but you know, you get the occasional one. You know, you get people who do it right, like Gaspar Noé and stuff like that. No, I agree. I absolutely agree, man. Yep. Uh, okay, so again, I said Cynthia Dell makes this movie. I really do believe she does make it. I, I love her charm, her kind of innocence, and her kind of you know. I just I loved everything about her character, Samantha Blair. I just I loved everything about her. She just I really got behind her in the film, uh, literally. <laughs> you you loved everything about her, including the camel toe. <laughs> oh yeah, well, up to and including. In particular, the camel toe. <laughs> yeah. No, but she uh, had some really nice outfits in the film. You know, the the uh, nice, uh, you know, <laughs> well, listen, I don't want to go too far into too much detail. This will turn into like some really weird podcast, but, you know, you, you get what I'm saying here. Um, do you guys, do either one of you guys, uh, I, mean, I think me and Brian are similar in age or close enough. Uh, Brian, I don't know if Ruben, I don't know if Will, actually, I don't know if they saw this or not, but 
Do you remember back in the day when, uh, and Brian, I don't know if you do either, but Showtime used to show those little aerobic shorts where they'd have women exercising in a white room on a spinning table? Oh, of course, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, you remember those ones? I don't know if I ever saw that. I didn't have Showtime as a kid. We used to get some that it would just be blatantly on the girls' box to, like for like for literally like 45 seconds. Like yeah. There was like the white the white background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was you great, could, man. You could probably... You, at like 7 in the morning as I was eating my cereal for school, man. I'd watch that for a few minutes, <laughs> yeah. roll into Care Bears, I think. It was good. <laughs> yes, nice. Well, dude, I was just going to say, think about like how many times you've seen aerobics on TV. I mean, I don't know if... Obviously, there's still stuff that where it's on, but if you think about scenes in movies where on the background somebody has aerobics on TV through the 80s and beyond, there's so many scenes I can think of where it's on TV. It was just such a proliferation of aerobics shows at a certain point. Oh, yeah, aerobics was everywhere in the uh, early 80s. Everywhere. It seems like I'm trying to give give one of my dogs a treat, and uh, he's a big dog, and he was stuck (laughs) in a corner of the room, so... That's the one I was kind of angry at earlier. I always feel guilty, and I have to you know, reward him because I was mean. Oh. And even though I didn't say anything to him, I actually just said it to you guys. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was going to say, I didn't I'm, think so, you did anything. On the air, everybody can just go ahead and say I'm such a weirdo. Anyway, um, <laughs> I also like the uh, the sex scene involved in watching the TV. This is so sleazy, man. Oh, God. Oh, that, man. Was, yeah. that was fantastic. It's like Jack, the, the Jackie of the monogrammed outfits. <laughs> Uh, who reminds me of like a um, more milk toast Alex Rocco? Yeah, he, he's yes. he's such a scumbag. He's getting a blowjob from like his girlfriend, or he's getting a blowjob from his girlfriend. And he's watching her arch rival on TV with like the yeah. smirk on his face. Oh, such a sleaze bag. I love it, man. Yeah. Well, and then don't they? Isn't there a point where they're now? You were talking about the sex scene, Rick. Is that the one where? Because there's a couple sex scenes, but the one where like he seems to be watching Cynthia Dale on TV as he's getting it on with his girl. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, she's, oh, yeah. and Cynthia's thrusting. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, yeah. That's why I say <laughs> I had I have to believe that some of that uh, aerobic stuff that was on TV that you know men were watching that because like Will said, you know they would keep and you need to YouTube those clips. I mean they're out there. I can't remember what they would be called, but they're out there, and they were blatantly sexual. That it wasn't about the aerobics, aerobics at all. It was about the sexuality, and uh, I have to believe that many men, you know, solved many lonely nights or maybe lonely mornings with uh, yes. those aerobic videos and stuff, or maybe even used them, you know, for a little, you know, a little help along the way, so to speak. So, uh, so I, I like everything about this movie. I, I don't think it's obviously. I don't think it's a, you know, it's not a masterpiece. I'm not gonna sit here and say that you know it's fucking, you know. <laughs> Duel in the Sun or some shit. I mean, it's not like it's it's something that you know. But but for what it is, and I know that's you know uh, saying something that I can't really stand saying. But it really is a good movie. It's got an overall rating of four point four, but I really don't understand that rating because it pretty much says what it needs to say, and it does it in a nice short, succinct way. Is it ridiculous in some ways? Yes, of course it is. But I mean, that's like saying you know. There was no ridiculous cinema in the eighties. I mean, come on, fuck's sake. I mean, there were so much bad movies in the eighties, it's ridiculous. But I like the you know, I like the save the rec center type thing, the time they're saving the dance studio. You know, it's like the uh, whole like the whole against the man attitude, you know, that brings of course, you know, that, that always brings out the best in me or the beast in me. And uh <laughs> I like all that stuff. And of course I think the main thing that makes this film work is I think the lead. Uh, of course I don't know how you guys feel about that, I'll find out here in a minute, but I think because I like Cynthia Dale so much in the movie I think it takes the movie up a whole full point for me because I really got behind her character. And again, I know that's an easy joke, but I got behind her character and the motivations of her character and stuff. And I just thought she was really charming. So and that's really where, you know, it really falls for me. I mean, the movie's 
pretty pretty normal in a lot of aspects, but and, and there's a lot of scenes. Now, if if you're not a big fan of watching people exercise while dancing, you might get a little bored in spots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the soundtrack saves it a lot, though. This movie's got a great soundtrack. Oh yeah. It does, and it's wall to wall. Like I was watching the beginning again, and it's like literally like three songs almost in a row. Yes. Where, you know, one montage after another. And you got to love a double or sometimes triple montage in an 80s movie. <laughs> yes, that just yeah, happens. Yes. Really yeah. It's like we have no story. Let's just keep shooting scenes and play music over them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it works. It works. And also, I don't know if anybody knows this is actually a top secret thing. I think Cynthia Dale is actually a little bow-legged, and I have a thing for bow-legged women. So there we <laughs> that's, go. That's just, that's almost as bizarre as my thing for large-nosed uh, women. <laughs> yes. Yes. <Yeah>, so. <laughs> But uh, no, I really enjoyed the movie. Let's hear what uh, let's hear what you guys thought. So, Brian, did you want to um, go? Or you want me to go? Whatever you I'll think. I'll go. Yeah, sure, I'll go. Um, I was gonna say, you know, this movie kicks it off nostalgically for me with the key video logo. Um, oh yeah, yeah, totally. I was gonna say that. It's just one of those great, like, like the Canon films, or even like the old HBO theme that would come on right before they play a movie. It's just like this great little tune. Like, I want to get it as a ringtone. Actually, I think I'll make it into a ringtone. Um, I should mention real quick, Rick and I were talking on Twitter the other day. The, the whole movie is on YouTube. It's not on yes. DVD right now, sadly, which is a crime. Um, but uh, it, it, the whole movie is on in like nine parts. It's on YouTube, so you can watch it there. Yeah. Um, but I love that key video logo because they licensed a bunch of movies from Fox and some other studios. So I saw a bunch of movies uh, with that logo at the front, and I always, you know, always loved it. Um, but it was just really interesting to see, like, there's a couple, uh, there's a, that great scene where um, she's getting into her gear um, in the beginning, and it was very much like the the guy suiting up, like a Rambo kind of, you know, scene. Uh, it just reminded me of that. Did you guys notice that scene? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely, man. I just thought that was a lot of fun. Um <laughs> And I, I thought that the dancing in the movie is, like, way more entertaining than both Flashdance and, like, Night in Heaven. You know, this male strippers Night in Heaven, I just found it pretty ridiculous. But, yeah. sorry. No, I was just saying, you know, what I always, whenever I watch aerobics films, I, I'm never, I never ceases to amaze me that, A, they're very sexual and, and kind of unapologetically, like, like fun and innocent, but still very like pervy sexual. And also that in retrospect, I was saying to my wife, like these films, they were about health and body and well-being, but the things they do to their spine and neck with these ridiculous <laughs> flailing moves, I mean, it just, it's just kills your fucking neck, like, and your spine, like they curve things the way they shouldn't be curved. Yeah, no, I agree. It definitely looks uncomfortable, you know, but I got to give some little hats off to the choreography because you know, it's way, it's clearly trained professional dancers because, like, in aerobics class, like, everybody's exactly in sync, you know, and they know the next move, and it's, it's like this, it's almost like this neat sort of, um, you know, dance performance unfolding in front of you, you know, but it doesn't feel like an aerobics class at all. Um, but I think that's still entertaining. Um, but I was, I was doing some research on box office, you know, we were talking about the phenomenon of flash dance which came out, it looks like, in April of 83, and it grossed not, well, almost $95 million. Wow. What? Um, what was I had to step away for a second. What was that again? Flashdance uh, made $95 million at the box office. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 95 and 83, and then Breakin made $36 million in 84, and this came out, uh, it, it's listed as 84, but 
on IMDb, it said it came out in February of 85. Yeah. So, I mean, clearly there was, you know, this fad slash flash dance influenced movie was pretty hot at the time, but I didn't realize just how much money, um, you know, Flashdance had made. <clears throat> and then you see, like, the knockoff sort of films, like, not knockoffs, but, like, there was um, <clears throat> Perfect with um, uh, Travolta and <laughs> yes. Jamie Lee Curtis, oh, which yeah. I have a weak spot for. It's not a great movie at all, but no. I have a weak spot for it. Understood, understood. It's a weird aerobics movie slash thriller. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird movie. Well, and then you've got, you know, stuff like Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which is very much a dance-oriented movie in 85. Well, you, you, then, you, when it comes to dancing and movies, and I'm not the authority on this, uh, I like musicals, but I don't really care for the dancing. I care more about the music, but... Uh, it's weird. Movies always go in fits and starts with this kind of stuff. I mean, the Step Up films have been successful, too. And I, I don't know anybody that's actually seen them outside of Emily and uh, Erica. But uh, evidently, people go see these things. Yeah, no, I heard Step Up 3D is pretty awesome. I, <laughs> I've seen Step Up 1. It's pretty pretty ridiculous. Well, <clears throat> that movie and, and like, uh, Center Stage, if you guys haven't seen Center Stage... Um, that's a bit of a guilty pleasure. It's, it's terribly bad, but entertaining. <laughs> Uh, more recent dance film. It's no, it's no, it's, uh, it's no going right. coconuts though. No, <laughs> it's no going <laughs> coconuts. I don't, I, I don't oh, know. I don't know gosh. if I've dropped any of the going coconuts on William yet. I don't know if I've done that or not. So he, he needs I, to see it. I don't know. That sounds familiar. What's uh? It's, what, it's I, I a, I might have seen it. It's an uh, it's, it's the Osmond movie. Mm, maybe I haven't seen it then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Donnie and Marie. It's it's pretty entertaining. <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> Terribly. I, I just got a poster for it in the mail last night. Like actually, nice. The poster was on eBay for like a buck. I'm like, oh, I can't not get this. This is too too good a poster. Sweet. Um, but anyway, I noticed there was even like you know, it's Flash Beagle. Charlie Brown came out in '84. I don't know if you guys ever saw that one. Uh, no, I did not. I'm not sure. I've seen a lot. I'm a big Charlie Brown fan. Uh, I don't know, man. I'd have to look into that and see if I have. I just thought that's the pro- proliferation of, of flash dance, mm-hmm. and then we've talked about on the show before things like Death Spa and Killer Workout. Yeah. Uh, you know, Pulse Beat, which is coming down the pipes at some point. Yes. Yeah, I was going to mention Pulse Beat. That's got to be mentioned for sure. Um, did you guys notice that the uh, hair and makeup guy, when um, Cynthia Dale's on the TV show, at one point he stops her and says she needs a touch up. This guy looks like a war fisherman. <laughs> yeah, he does. He had the, the, he looked almost like a like an extra in Deliverance or like a war fisherman. This big red fucking beard, man. <laughs> and he's he's got like a little uh, you know, he's touching up her makeup with a little brush and stuff. It was just the funniest thing for me to see this dude. <laughs> Well, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I know which village person is his favorite, but I don't. I don't. I did find it kind of odd that, uh, yeah. I mean, very manly man. But hey, you know, you, you get a job. You know, if you're good at it, you're good at it. You know, you're the makeup guy. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I had a question about the the dance off at the end. You know, they have they play one song per uh, hour, basically. You know, it shows like an hour. <laughs> and I was like, my question was, do they play that whole song? That song over and over again for that hour? Is that what we're supposed to get? Yeah. It always amazes me how long pop songs are in movies. In reality, they're like three minutes. It's like these people were dancing to like the B-side of Rush's 2112 or some shit. (laughs) (laughs) Or the A-side, maybe. I don't even know. (laughs) Um, Well, Will, do you want me to read the letter from the screenwriter now, or should I wait on that? 
Um, if you want to read it now, that's cool, man. I mean, um, I guess in retrospect, maybe we should have let you open with it. But um, yeah, probably. Uh, by all means, read it now, and then uh, we'll go. Well, I should give some history to it. Um, the, I discovered the movie through um, one of the programmers out here in L.A. Uh, for the, the New Beverly Cinema. Uh, his name's Phil Blankenship, and I've talked about him before on the show. And he's a great uh, programmer here, one of my favorites in L.A. He does the midnight shows. And he's got a you know great knack for pulling out like '80s gems and horror films, and he's he's really solid. So anyway, I know he's a huge Heavenly Bodies fan, and he's played it a couple times as his birthday movie when he's had you know the opportunity to play a movie on his birthday. So I know he loves this film, and I I text I twittered him that we were going to be covering it, and he said, "Oh, I've got a I've got a letter from the screenwriter that I read." before one of my screenings and so he emailed it to me and um, I totally wanted to just read it. I guess this guy would be um, uh, Ron Bass because it's not Larry Dane the director and he's the only other credited writer so um, but it's an interesting letter uh, I just thought I'd read it for the listeners um, so he says uh, so this beginning is it's an intro to it uh, screening at the New Beverly, so that's why it's worded the way it is. But uh, he says, if you're in the audience tonight at the New Beverly Cinema uh, to see he Heavenly Bodies, then you probably have some idea of what you're getting into. This is more than I could say in the early 1980s when I became involved in a movie that, to my continuing astonishment, I've not been able to shake off for 25 years now. Uh, it began as these things do with lunch, in this case with a Toronto actor named Larry Dane. I was a freelance magazine writer at the time with a secret yearning to write for the movies. Not so secret, actually. I confided to Larry any number of times. As it turned out, he was an actor with aspirations to be, what else, a director. Together, the two of us collaborated on a script about a ruthless paparazzi photographer who, of course, gets mixed up with a celebrity uh, and murder. To my surprise, we almost immediately optioned the script to a young producer named Robert Lantos, recently relocated from Montreal to Toronto. I remember he and his partner, Stephen Roth, had offices on either side of a secretary who looked wonderful in a miniskirt but could not type. In the midst of our paparazzi uh, photographer epic, Larry started to talk about an idea he had for a movie about three young women trying to start up their own workout club. He had made the mistake of seeing Flashdance, a movie that had become something of a phenomenon and had been originally written by another Toronto writer, Tom Headley, uh, a guy we both knew. I thought Larry's crazy idea, a, a Flashdance uh, flash ripoff? Who'd be interested in that? However, Larry was not to be deterred. Over lunch, he pitched the idea to Lantos. I have since sent through countless meetings uh, and lunches with many producers, but to this day, I've never seen a producer react to a pitch quite the same way. Lantos reacted to that one. It was the only time in my life when I almost literally saw the light bulb go on over someone's head. Uh, the next thing I knew, Larry and I were writing his workout movie together. He had dubbed it Heavenly Bodies, and for better or worse, the title never changed. What's more, he convinced Lantos to allow him to direct. I could hardly believe it was happening. Every time I turned around, Lantos seemed to, be, to bring in more co-producers. We met a German who had adamantly demanded all the girls work out with hula hoops. We managed to avoid the <laughs> hula hoops. Um, that would have been an interesting film. That would have been uh, incredible. He 
says, oh, yeah. uh, I'm that not sure awesome. how I felt about any of this other than to feel like an outsider staring in wonder at the strange scene unfolding before him. Certainly, uh, only, certainly only one thing, uh, this was never going to actually get made in, uh, into a movie. And the thought filled me as much with relief as anything else. We were, after all, a bunch of guys who barely had, had been inside a workout club trying to make a movie about young women running a workout club. What the hell did we know? Imagine my surprise then to find myself in a converted warehouse full of spandex-clad women in leg warmers. Larry standing on the sidelines yelling, action. Uh, not only is, was Heavenly Bodies in production, but what started out as a low-budget Canadian movie began to take on big-budget trappings. Playboy was involved, and then the Uber producers Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, the Flashdance Boys themselves. Well, that's interesting. I mean, uh, oh, wow. Uh, Giorgio Moroder, who had done the score oh, for wow. Flashdance, oversaw the creation of the music. The fabled MGM uh, original home to the likes of Clark Gable and Judy Garland was going to release the film on more than a thousand screens. Music scenes were reshot to give them more production value. People connected with the movie uh, began to talk of talk in terms of Cinderella's story and the little movie that could. That talk evaporated as soon as Heavenly Bodies opened in the midst of a howling blizzard in February 1984. Huh, interesting. Lantos phoned to report box, box office disaster. How was, he ha- how was he handling this, I wondered. Well, he said, ruefully, he would not be making his next movie for MGM. For me, the movie's release was complicated by the fact that by the time it came out, I had become the movie critic for the Toronto Star, Canada's largest newspaper. I remember gathering my family and the dog in front of the television set on a Friday evening. On came critic Leonard Malton, who in those days was actually allowed to critique films on Entertainment Tonight. He proceeded to eviscerate Heavenly Bodies. <laughs> At the end, his eyes popped with surprise. What's more, he reported, it turns out that one of the writers is a movie critic. Well, here's a piece of advice. He leaned toward the camera and seemed to speak to me personally. Don't give up your day job. I looked around. <laughs> Only the dog was still in the same room with me. <laughs> Despite my best efforts to put it behind me, Heavenly Bodies would never quite let go of me. Divorced, fed up with Toronto, and having left the star, I fled to Los Angeles to finish writing a book, and in my mind at least, to make a new start. I arrived in town and settled into my apartment on North Palm Drive in Beverly Hills, like so many others in L.A., I escaped from my past. I felt calm and relaxed. I turned on the television set, and literally, this is true, there was heaven, heavenly bodies. Oh, wow. I could run, but I could not hide from that movie. Not long ago, I ran into Robert Lantos. He soon started a movie in Rome that co-stars Dustin Hoffman and, and Paul Giamatti. I am about to publish a new novel titled The Strange. We didn't talk about any of that stuff, though. Instead, we ruminated about the experience of heavenly bodies and laughed and shook our heads, remembering. I'm sure Robert will laugh and shake his head again this evening, knowing what is unfolding here in Los Angeles. In fact, I don't think I'm too far off the mark in predicting there will be a fair amount of laughter and head-shaking in the audience before the movie is over. Fair enough. Heavenly Bodies, as you're about to see, is, is what it is, and I don't think any of us connected with it ever thought otherwise. With that in mind, I can only thank you for your interest tonight and fervently hope you enjoy the movie. A sense of humor is optional, of course, but will help. Anyway, that's a neat little letter, and I really appreciate Phil providing that, giving us a little insight. Yeah, that's very nice of him. That, that's really interesting, man. Uh, you know, I, did, I saw the Playboy Productions thing, but 
I, I didn't know if it was actually Playboy or if it was just someone trying to, you know, pull one with the name. But uh, that's very interesting, man. Yeah, no, that's very cool. Sorry, well, you can jump into your notes, man. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's Canadian and it's shot in Toronto. And actually, ironically, um, where the, uh, what's the guy, the, the monogram douchebag, what's his name? Uh, oh, fuck. Oh. Jack something. Jack Pearson. Jack, the Jack Pearson Club, ironically, if if my memory serves me correctly, it looks like that scene when they put their little paper, uh, f- like photocopied flyer over his, that is actually shot right by where the uncool cat lives. Oh, wow. And oh, we actually, sense. that was where I saw a couple of the films at the Manulife Center uh, here in Toronto. So, very interesting. Um, I love that instead of the pink, the hot pink credits, they they make it a little more subtle with, of course, teal credits. <laughs> yes. Diversifying a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I have to say that it must have been serendipitous for um, for the girls because they find this abandoned building, but as luck would have it, they've just put in polished new wooden floors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they actually make a point of saying, the floors look great, you know, like yeah. to cover them. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love that, man. I thought it was a great little kind of nod to the fact that they did try to trash it up a bit, but, you know, let's face it, they kind of had to keep the floors uh, the way they did. Um Five minutes and 41 seconds in, and of course, true to form with the exploitation films, we get our first camel toe shot. <laughs> yes. 541, they don't waste any time. No, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a moment early on when we see that the, the fad or the craze of the club uh, is really taking off, and there's that news, that, <laughs> that great scene with the fucking like, news reporter, with the Entertainment Tonight kind of reporter. And uh, there's some guy who... He's got like a Jufro kind of, but it's, he's balding. He's got a, like a pedo mustache. Oh, that guy's great. That guy's great because he goes, I guess, uh, he says something, something to the effect of, oh, my girlfriend left me or something. He goes, that was before I started doing aerobics. And he goes, I just got one thing to say. Hey, Joyce, take a look at this. Hell and he yeah. hits the double bicep shot. <laughs> and you call, if you want to call that a double bicep shot, look like fucking baloney logs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's hilarious, man. He's yeah, like, hey, 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 Grace, look at this. I'm thinking Grace is like, whatever. Yeah, super, <laughs> superstar Billy Graham, he ain't. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> um, I got to say that uh, I love good Canadian movies when they try to make them American with, like, the football player for the Wildcats. I love when Canadians do that. Um, yeah. What's his name? I think he's a French-Canadian actor, maybe Richard Rebier. Um, he plays Steve, our our Polish football superstar and he, my wife and I, it's so funny, we both said to each other that he reminded us of like a douchier Dave Coulier slash young Emilio Estevez. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> but uh, And he's pretty good and he's a pretty romantic guy because when he goes over to her house for dinner, he, he gives her the, the great line, hope you like pierogies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is, he's definitely a romantic guy. Of course, he's, you know, he gives her the balloons too. That seems like a, a far-fetched way to find out if you want to go on a date or not. Why don't I just ask her? Yeah. Well, yeah, he had to be sitting outside her apartment waiting for perhaps a long time first of, to get the balloons. First of all, in most cities, that's called stalking. Uh, yeah. When you're sitting outside of a person's apartment and they have a small child, that's called stalking. I don't care what fucking world you're from, <laughs> that's stalking. That's right. <laughs> but he asked her to release the balloons to say yes, and I'm thinking, dude, you you went. I mean, you went all out. 
you know, I love that they gloss over the fact that, okay, so she's got all these balloons and she has a young boy and, and the boy says, mommy, can I have one balloon? And you don't hear her say anything. Then you just see the balloons get all released outside. It's like, you fucking bitch. Your son asked for a balloon. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, shafts kind of him. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it kind of, kind of the great thing too was that, uh, you know, he, he stops in the middle of traffic and screams like, yeah. Yeah. He goes, all right. <laughs> I love that. I love that movie. I always wish there was a cop come back. Go, come on, you fucking douchebag. She said yes. Move on. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, what is, I'm trying to see what this note says. I must have been excited or something. <laughs> That's easily possible with this movie. Eve. What does it say? Eve. Oh. Um, <laughs> Samantha. It seems like a lot of times when she was trying to convey like confusion or or anger or contempt she just had again the fart face came back like she's trying to figure out <laughs> yeah. who farted yes you know it's uh it's pretty great yeah um, i have to say i definitely wasn't as enamored with her as much as you guys were uh-huh. um i i really liked the movie i would i in spite of her not that she was terrible but um she was she was good but i didn't like her as much as you guys did yeah um well, I mean, we, I mean, it's obvious, you know, you like the, the, you know, like you liked our football player more than you liked Samantha, so that's okay. That I did. <laughs> I like the uh, the Polish rifle. Uh, who hope, needs Ron Jaworski? Yeah. Hope you like uh, pierogi. Hope you like. Yeah, we're gonna see his pierogi in a minute, man. Some of those short shorts he was wearing. Um, we talked about. How, wait, well, how about those um those like humpy push-ups that she makes them do? Oh those, like, my those, god! Those things are hilarious. Anyway, sorry. Uh, no, no, it was fantastic, man. <laughs> and my wife pointed it out like there's a scene when they're on the floor doing those like yeah the humpy push-ups and <laughs> there's like the black guy in the back and my wife was convinced that he was looking at like the guy's junk in front of him because he's like laying in like the playgirl pose looking at both of them. <laughs> And I was like, that guy's totally checking out their junk in those shorts. And I like rewound it and I was like, oh, I guess you're right, honey. Um, Good eye. We talk about spaghetti sweat. In this film, there is, of course, maple moisture. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the name for our Canadian sweat, the maple moisture. And, oh, it's, awesome. and it's great because there's this one like slightly cougish woman in the red and she's really got the maple. She's the one that's curling with the barbell. I don't know. If you, I mean, she's just fucking soaked, man. Yeah, it was great. I love those scenes of all the the wet bodies and stuff. I know it sounds perverted, but I really do love that stuff. Uh, there's a scene too where they come to her and tell her about you know getting the TV show, and she's in half in and out of the shower, and I don't know something kind of hot about you know these, this woman coming out in just a towel, and you know she's already kind of moist and sweaty, and she's getting her get in the shower, and you got all these other females. Or, I don't know. I'm just being a dude there, so. <laughs> Well, well, there's a lot of there's a whole lot of gyrating in this movie. Oh say. yeah, yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> One of the key words on IMDb should be gyration. Yes, I agree. Um, and I'll tell you what else I love is is the man boy, the Vietnamese man boy that works out at the club wearing the white Daisy Dukes and the Uggs. Yes. Like, <laughs> where the fuck did he come from, man? No, that's a good. That's a good question, right there. You know, but but he uh, he you can see he's got a warrior's spirit because at the end of the film he's one of the last three or four guys left. So. You know, he was he believed in uh, Samantha Blair. Um, I always love in these films the aerobics, like the the dance off or the aerobics off. Like in Pulse Speed, it's it's like the seven different events, including the most intense stationary bike off in the history of cinema. <laughs> yes, um, yeah, that movie's amazing, man. We, I can't wait to cover them. Yeah, we we got to have you back on for that one because you are the the aerobics exploitation aficionado. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we got there, but <laughs> but it was a fun ride yeah. uh, with a lot of lycra. Um, <laughs> 
I don't want to be politically incorrect, but I don't see any other way to put this. I love the black bull dyke that Samantha's friends with, who always seems to be the fill-in for a man in her life, like when she needs to be consoled, when she needs help moving yeah. something. Yeah. You know, it, it just, I just, I don't know, man. I just, I loved her. She was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, I love that, uh, oh yeah, I talked about Steve playing for the Wildcats, which is, of course, the Kentucky, <laughs> yeah. uh, the university. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but like you said, though, that's a very, it's a very milquetoast thing. Where, you know, every time they want to explain a professional team, it seems like they always go to like the Wildcats or something yeah. like, or the Bulls or something. It's always one something. of those two. <laughs> it's like, come on. Yeah, no, come, come, come with something a little bit more original than, you know, that. Oh yeah, no, I know. Um, I love the uh, the exhaustion at the end, and it's like they're almost like two really like it's like when it's it's uh, the two women, it's um, Samantha's main rival, and it's down to those two, and they look like two really old, really drunk people dancing at a wedding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was. Well, you, you know, you know awesome. what my favorite thing about the dance off is my favorite thing is the old wrestling uh, one eighty. You know, Samantha's hurt. She's doing terribly, but all it's of a sudden, Hogan. yeah, she gets yeah, her totally she, she gets her second wind, and all of a sudden, you're just like pumping your fist, or at least I was. Uh, <laughs> you're pumping something. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I was pumping my fist. It's in the old <laughs> five knuckle shuffle, butter. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, no, you're right, but and it's great that her like the Hulk, like when she hulks up or whatever, yeah. it's 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 through flashback, and she gets that blast of energy, and it's like. It's like an angel in Lycra gliding around the room in leg warmers. It's <laughs> yeah. just, uh, and I think it's just, it's fitting that she finishes off um, her rival by doing the Liz, her- Liz Berkeley showgirls fish flop orgasm. That, that's her finishing move. <laughs> like, yes. It's just so incredible, man. <laughs> but those are all my notes. Let's roll here because I know we're pinched for time. Yeah. That's good. All right. Uh, my make or break for the film. I have to go with the dance off. I think it's like the last 20 minutes of the film or the 25 minutes yeah. of the film. Uh, not something I would normally go for. There's some other good scenes, too. I, I thought I was going to go with the sex scene, which I'll talk about quite a bit. It, it's really great the way they cross cut those sex. That sex scene is incredibly sexy somehow, and I don't know how they pulled that off. Uh, <laughs> but it worked for me somehow. Okay. So that's all I'm going to say. Uh, but I have to go with the dance-off because the more and more we talk about it and stuff, the more and more I love the dance-off, especially when you start talking about the Hulk Hogan second win. You know, we start shaking the fist and, <laughs> and everything. It starts looking to the audience and stuff. The only thing I needed to do was kind of do the twirling of the wrist and hold it up to the ear on each side of the oh, yeah. room there, and that would have been it. That would have been done. <laughs> yeah, totally. uh, But I, I, did, uh, I did really like the dance-off quite a bit, especially because they spent so much time on it. I was actually amazed at when it started. I looked at the timer. I'm like, good Lord, we're going to dance-off now for the next 20 minutes. Yeah, but they mix in some good drama in there, even though if it is kind of cheesy in spots. Uh, my MVT is Dale, uh, Cynthia Dale. So uh, I liked her a lot in this movie. Uh, again, I'll say it for easy joking. Uh, I got behind her character quite a bit, and uh, <laughs> I just en- I just enjoyed her. Man, there was something innocent and charming about her to me that just worked, even though she did look like she was smelling quite often the fart. So, uh, my score for this film is a 7.25 it's a little bit better than Kill a Sheep for me and I'll, and I'll say that it's not a better film or a more important yeah. film but it's a much more rewatchable film well let's, let's again I think let, let's be honest if a film I think the way we talk about films is we judge them on their own merits yes yeah, certainly it, it doesn't have the cultural <laughs> factor of something like Kill a Sheep or whatever but if for what it is does it pay off absolutely yes yeah. Uh, and somebody on Facebook just posted some deadly prey hilarity, and I had to click on my like button. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, anything to do with that film, like it. <laughs> That's the uh, scene where he takes on the tank. 
Uh, yes. yes. Uh, so I think 7.25 is a good uh, fair score. I think it's a very good movie. It's a little, uh, unfortunately, there's not a really good copy of it out there. It's a little blown out and a little fuzzy and stuff, but uh, it's a typical 80s movie. It's got the nice looks of the 80s and stuff, and I, I don't know. I just, I really had a good time watching it. So, so what yeah. you guys say, Ryan? Well, I'm good. Um, it seems like you guys both at least had a good time with it for what it is. Like I said, not a great movie, but so entertaining for me. And I, like I said, for all the press that Flash Flashdance gets, this is the movie that Flashdance wishes it was. I mean, actually, I'm sure it doesn't, but this is the movie I think any any '80s dance movie should be. You know, it's like the the height. For well, me. well, the problem with Flashdance is let's, let's be honest. Flashdance is the biggest problem I think with it is, and I've thought about this quite a bit since we started doing this movie. Is that Flashdance is just so earnest? I mean, it's so it's so serious. Yeah. Go back and watch it. It's so serious, it really makes it like it makes it look stupid. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what like you mean, but sorry, you had said Rick, like like Saturday Night Fever tries to be gritty and dark too, and it pulls it off. But um, it's it's just disco is such a much smaller part of that coming of age story, whereas dance is like the center of flash dance in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, and the rest of it just feels like uh, you know filler, you know, and not that the dance part is interesting. So then that's what the movie fails really. Sorry, Will. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Um, so my make or break is uh, the feels like make me feel like a beast scene. It, just brilliant <laughs> stuff, man. Brilliant stuff. Nice. MVT is just the fad itself. I mean, it just. I said to my wife again, it's so strange that this became such a thing that there was like this little subgenre of movies, and I just think it's it's such a time capsule of the eighties, mid eighties, early eighties. It just it really wonderful. Uh, I give it a seven out of ten. Um, okay. It's it's really enjoyable. Again, you have to know what you're getting into, but you know if you know what you're getting into, I think you you can definitely have fun with it. Again, I th- I would love to see like Emily and Erica, you know, maybe do about something like this, cover some of these films because it's right up their alley. Oh yeah, yeah, I think they'd get a kick out of it. I think they would. Yeah, because they uh, especially Emily because she understands the the cheese factor. I think she'd really <laughs> dig this one. Oh yeah, yeah. All right, so that is our um, review. Oh, you, what, what, sorry, no, sorry. Bri- Bri didn't do his stuff. Oh, fuck, fuck that guy. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna pretty much go with everything Rick said, so it's gonna be short and sweet. Uh, dance off. Although the opening three songs are pretty, the setup of the oh yeah, you know, their their their, you know, uh, secretary jobs and and then you know, setting up the club and then the first club scene, that triple montage on us is pretty great to begin. <laughs> Yeah, but um, and we yeah, forgot we, we forgot to mention that opening scene. I always like in those movies or in any movie really where they show somebody's passion kind of coming through even while they're doing their day to day routine. It reminds yeah. me of uh, you know, like uh, like uh, what's his name, uh, John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever and stuff. You know, his little dance moves. He's worried about his hair and stuff, even when he's doing his day to day stuff. And I always like that when you see people's passion come through in their day to day stuff. And you know, she's tapping her feet under the desk. I like that. Well, yeah, and the song's like breaking out of prison or whatever. You know, it's very silly. <laughs> which which yeah. totally fits because there's a lot of prison in this yeah. movie. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I'm gonna give it a seven point five out of ten. I like it a little bit more than you guys, but I think it's highly recommended. Uh, very entertaining. If if you're so inclined, you should just go check it out on YouTube. Yeah. Um, you know, or you can get a VHS copy it or what you know whatever. It's it's out there. You can get it. But but yeah, people should watch it. It's it's worth highly worthwhile. Yes. Yes. All right. So now that is our review of Heavenly Bodies. <laughs> yes. All right. So we're going to take a short break, come back with some listener feedback. We'll be back right after this. 
hundreds of thousands of movies every year. Many are terrible. For the movie viewer, these are dark times. From the internet comes a mystical and powerful force. It is called Movie Meltdown. Armed with the power of smart-ass comments and reckless abandon, a young group of rebels is the only hope to conquer the forces of evil that would destroy the planet Earth. This summer, experience the magic, the mystery, the adventure of Movie Meltdown. If you dare, look for it at MovieMeltdown.com or come search for it in the iTunes store. Movie Meltdown. Coming soon to a listening device near you. closely during that music you can hear me shaking my castanets or whatever they're called <laughs> all right so we are back with listener feedback brian had to step away he had some good things to do today so uh you know we want to thank brian again for being on the show uh just to let you guys know he did step away on feedback because he didn't want to be part of it he just had to step away because he had some business to do he loves all you guys as you know so that's all i want to say about that uh we don't have much feedback this week i think uh, we might have blown our load last week with an hour and 20 minutes of feedback but that's okay an hour and 20 it was longer than that wasn't it <laughs> it was it was long let's just say that it was yeah, definitely massive. <laughs> yeah so uh we got a little bit of feedback this week though so let's go ahead and get into it let's let's do it uh, first one off the air i just want to uh, carl had sent us an off-air note and uh certainly it's our pleasure um you know, uh, you're a friend, so anything we can do to reciprocate to your support, we'll support. So, yeah. uh, our pleasure. Um, next one is from a very good friend who goes by a lot of different names, which he'll reference at the end here, that being Michael. Uh, it says, Dear gentlemen, I'd be remiss if I didn't wish you all a heartfelt congratulations on reaching such a milestone last week. Sorry, I just realized I totally cut you off with the Carl thing. Anything you wanted to add? No, 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 no. I just said, you okay. know, basically, I feel the same way. Thank you, Carl. Don't worry, buddy. It's the feelings mutual and... Yeah, he wrote. I actually will say that he uh, posted a review on the blog over there. Very, very good stuff. Mm-hmm. Very good stuff. Uh, I put off sending uh, getting back to Michael. I put off sending this email as I figured with the trilogy uh, you were covering and the massive amount of correspondence you were likely to get. You'd be lucky to get the show in under four hours, and I was right. So let me take a moment to express my sincere appreciation for the hard work and devotion that you display each week, each and every week, bringing what is beyond a doubt the best film talk in the potosphere. I'm not just saying that either. I listened to a shitload of movie podcasts. I knew after I discovered you a year and a half ago that this show was something special and you've expanded it with the help of Rupert and Pickle-Ope. Pickle-Ope. Loaf. <laughs> that's, uh, the, that's the wild animal that tigers attack, the Pickle-Ope. When they want a little yes. bit more of a bitter, salty taste. Yes. <laughs> to a program that is truly phenomenal. If circumstances in my life ever change where I need to trim my podcasting listening down to one film show per week, rest assured it will be yours. Nice. Uh, as that is not the case right now, let me take time to thank you for the other awesome podcasts you've, your show has led me to. Show Show, OTC, Chin Circuit vs. Punter, Paleo Cinema, Girls on Film, and several others. Also, the wonderful people I've become friends with by becoming involved in your community, like Emily, John, Paul, and of course, my heartthrob, Dr. Zom. Everyone has been great. The films you've led me to and the great joy you bring me each week cannot be underestimated. 
I know I'm not alone in saying this. It's been a hell of a ride, boys, and I'm strapping myself in for a thousand miles more. Nice. Peace. Michael A., Kuzuma Sugar, Malman 50. I should really fucking settle on one handle. <laughs> Sweet. I was looking through uh, filmography there. I'll tell you something a little off the air. Very interesting. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, thanks, Mike. We appreciate it, buddy. Uh, I always comment on his stuff on uh, Facebook and stuff. He's on there quite a bit and stuff. But, yeah, he's got good taste in movies. And, obviously, he's got good taste in podcasts. <laughs> so Yes. <laughs> we appreciate it. Is that the only email we got this week? That is it, the wow. lonesome dove. So wow. let's get into our uh, our uh, voicemails. All right, here we go. And, and, and then, of course, thank you, um, Michael. Yeah, thanks, uh, Mike. Strong passion for film, so we appreciate it. Yep, we do. All right, first voicemail. Here we go. Well, hello, William and Rick. And on this episode, the Undefeatable Butthorn episode, Alex. So this is Metal Mikey calling in once more. That's right, the Vienna Prince <laughs> calling in once more, representing with his enormous bag. <laughs> Backpack, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, I know actually probably today you have recorded the milestone 100th episode of Gentleman's Guide, but I already gave my little piece of feedback on that. So, uh, congratulations again. <laughs> you forced that out of me, bastard. <laughs> Lovable bastards, though. Anyways, uh, just a few notes on the episode. And when you were talking about recent viewings and I believe it was Alex talking about a Nero film, Franco Nero. I couldn't help but notice in the background that audibly London was, or Landon, sorry, was actually getting audibly excited at the mention of Franco Nero. So, Rick, you know what? (laughs) I guess that's a sign that the apple really doesn't fall far from the tree after all. Yes. (laughs) And as for the coverage of movies, you know what? Both of them do sound primed for action or attraction coverage, but honestly, I would probably am more excited about the Godfrey Ho vehicle, Undefeatable. Why? Because I've not actually seen a Godfrey Ho movie. Oh, period. At least, as far as I know, I've not seen a Godfrey Ho movie. And this one, ugh, it just sounds like it's an epic experience of epicity. Yes, I made that word up on the fly. Nice. What are you going to do about it? Uh, <laughs> but yes. And also, I, it's like I keep saying, I'm not sure actually on other shows or on my show, there is a lot of Cynthia Rothrock I should cover to this day, I still live with regret about my confusing Mimi Liseos with Cynthia Rothrock based on that one cover. Oh, come on. Look up the cover of Streets of Rage. Tell me they don't look alike on that picture. Seriously. Just tell me that. <laughs> but also, I did want to throw in my nod to William for his excellent TIFF coverage. I just didn't really get to feeding back on those because it's just like I listened to them all on one day in a row, and I'm sort of thinking, well, when am I going to actually see these movies when <laughs> on any sort of like theatrical coverage? So again, William, you did an excellent job. I especially love the Man on the Street episodes where you are pretty much frantically navigating your way around Toronto while still giving a cohesive review. Very impressive. But anyways, you all take it easy. I will talk to you again later. And again, congratulations on the 100 episodes. Adios. Whatever. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Mikey there. So you're rambling there a little bit toward the end. Uh, yeah, uh, we appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I can see where Undefeatable might be more action attraction than Bulletproof. Although I still have to believe that both of them could be well covered on action attraction. Absolutely. Uh, (laughs) Mikey, thank you for the kind words. And 
everyone seems to think I must be grossly out of shape or something. <laughs> As we see by Zom's voicemail coming up here soon, walking and talking can put you out of breath a little bit, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, more than it sounds. I'm in reasonably good shape. Not to say I could run a marathon, but, uh, you yeah. know, I'm not some fucking... But Jabba yet, man. Um, <laughs> Streets of Rage, yes. Mimi Leseos does look like Cynthia Rothrock on that cover, so I can see where you got the confusion there. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, uh, thanks as always, Mikey. Uh, the Viennese, Viennese Prince comes correct. Yes, as always. Good old Mikey. Okay, next voicemail. <laughs> Jesus. This is Dr. Inspired by Large William, this man on the street. <laughs> Feedback from this. Here we go. Chief and I are giving you man on the trail. <laughs> Feedback from the rails for trails. <laughs> A la Virginia. We are walking on the trail as we speak. It's about 8.30 in the morning. It's foggy. There could be redneck rapist at any, in any bush, behind any tree. And that's what we're looking for, because we want some redneck raping. Okay. Anyway, my jocularity is coming out in spades. But I watched a couple of movies. I watched one called The Killers with Catherine Heigel, uh, who has some pretty goddamn big boobies, and I never <laughs> noticed that. What? I mean, I'm not like a huge fan of hers or anything. I'm not, I don't, not like her. She's got big boobies. <laughs> Ashton Kutcher. Uh, I don't care how he looks. I don't care how much he works out. I don't care how much he takes his shirt off. He just comes off like a huggy. You know what I mean, daddy <laughs> Okay, that was, the, <laughs> that was the end of the voicemail. That would, I think maybe he might have ran into the redneck rapist and he had to hang up quickly. <laughs> <laughs> he had to start running, man. But I know he, he took the old dog off the leash and ran, but I think he actually jumps right back in with his next voicemail, doesn't yes, he? Yes, he does, right here. Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Just wait a goddamn minute. Who do you think this is? Do you think this is Emily? <laughs> Does this answering machine think that they can cut off? <laughs> well, I walked a few more paces, and then I decided to call back and speak about Ashton Kutcher. Okay. <laughs> Ashton Kutcher is not an action star. Action Kutcher isn't even, I mean, I don't know. He just, uh, he just comes off as a geek. Uh, I did not really watch the 70s show, but he still just comes off as a geek. But uh, that's enough of that. That what, that movie, I mean, I'll tell you what. It was semi-entertaining. I didn't think it was as horrible as I thought it would be. Uh, watched the one about the, uh, get the British drugged out rock star to the Greek it was okay. Had some funny moments. I don't like Puff Daddy, but he had some funny moments. Uh, enough that I can say that he wasn't totally horrible. But um, that movie was just okay. 
I watched a French movie that I can't even remember what it was called. <laughs> so uh, we won't go too far into that. Nice. But it was pretty good. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the guys at the fire department, I think, are laughing at me. Maybe. Maybe not. I'm not going to hang around here to find out. Because I'm packing. And when Tom's packing, there's only two things that can happen. Uh, and I don't even want to think about it. What? All right, we're getting ready to get in the high brush here. And... uh I'm getting a little out of breath. Yeah, you can tell. <laughs> this is Dr. Zoom. And this is Dr. Zoom on the trail. Man on the street. Man on the trail. Here with Chief Dan. And he's sniffing some goose poop. <laughs> and I have to say, on a Saturday morning, good Saturday morning to all you gentlemen and ladies. And um, some... <laughs> All right, so you can definitely hear there that even Zom has issues walking and talking after a while. <laughs> Zom's a fit man. Yes, yes. But I, I do know what you're talking about. I know there's been lots of times where I'm walking and talking with somebody and we'll walk a long distance, and by the time we get you know halfway down that long distance, I'm already huffing and puffing a little bit because I'm like talking and trying to breathe at the same time, and I'm not in the greatest shape, I'll admit that, but still. And then walking up and down steps and talking, even worse. <laughs> oh, yeah. It gets even worse there, but yeah. Thanks for the report, Zom. Uh, I wondered if anybody was on that trail with you, looking at you like you're a little crazy, because uh, you're you were in total Zom character there. <laughs> the firemen watching you there. I wonder if those firemen had just the uh, the pants on with the suspenders and no shirt. Yes, yes. I would I would have a feeling they might. <laughs> if Mister October was eyeing you there, man. <laughs> <laughs> Mister October. <laughs> All right, so that is it for our voicemail. We don't have any more, believe it or not. This might be the shortest feedback section since episode one, where we had none. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we'll get into our pleasantries. Okay, Horror Hound Weekend rapidly approaching November 14th weekend. Everyone almost is going to be there. Again, shenanigans abound. Good times will be had by all. Yep. Uh, try to get there if you can. Make your flight and hotel arrangements or driving arrangements. Head over to palaver.com uh, where you can find all of our all of your favorite shows and all of our favorite shows for that matter, with a few, of course, uh, exceptions. Um, but yeah, great message boards over there. They're always very lively. Uh, check out our sister shows, Show Show and OTC. Check out Family Movie Night, Chin Stroker versus Punter. Uh, and of course, uh, it should be said that another show from across the pond, Cinerama, of Sir, with Sir Ian Loring, uh, he will be a uh, special guest on the November 2nd episode of the GGTMC, and he's picked a tasty film to cover. Yes, he has. Um, also, uh, check out 35mm Heroes, NOTLP, Girls on Film, The Big Red Podcast, uh, Movie Meltdown, Paleo Cinema, the podcast that treaded sundown, if and when they... Not if, when they get back on the air. Mm -hmm. uh, Cinecultania, V Cinema, Action Attraction with the Viennese Prince, Better in the Dark, The Gore Press Gore Cast, Girls on Film, and anyone else I'm, uh, or not Girls on Film, um, Movies About Girls, uh, and anyone else I've forgotten. I check out Paracinema.net for the genre magazine, uh, NightmareTheater.blip.tv, and HorrorCommentary.com. While you're at it, check out some of our blogs, including the titular the ggtmc.blogspot.com. The rest of these are also followed by blogspot.com, which is Pickleloaf, or .blogspot.com, I should say, Pickleloaf, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, Deadly Dolls House, Rachon Film, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, Death Rattle 13, Heaven's Trash, Lightning Bugs Lair, 
I believe almost all of those people are writing for our blog, so yeah. we're in g- good company to say the least. Yes. Uh, I might do a piece actually with Aaron on some Kenneth Anger films. So nice, nice. Gonna go back and forth. We'll see how it goes. Uh, Nick Eskimo, Big Suck Loser, Funky Sixteen Corners. Lunarpages.net, mm-hmm. Region Incognito, Fist of B List, and uh, while you're at it, uh, head over to CDB. That's Cinema-DE-Bazaar for all your hard to find genre needs. Promo code Gentlemen for ten percent off your orders. And if you want something um, of the I guess white market, would that be the term, as opposed to gray market? Uh, uh, yeah, I guess so. OMG-Entertainment.com, very good friend Martin. Uh, GGTMC10 for promo for 10% off your orders. Podcast Alley, we're getting slayed, so please go over and vote. It takes one minute of your time. iTunes Reviews, Facebook, friend us all, join in the conversations. Uh, Twitter, which is uh, twitter.com backslash GGTMC, backslash large William, backslash Pickle of 10, and backslash Bob Freelander. Yeah. And if you want to donate uh, $500 of every paycheck to us, you can do it <laughs> through our website. Yeah, and, and, our, and our blog spot. We can do either one. Yes, that's right. That's right. So, uh, mucho dinero yeah. if you want to. If and not, just listen and support us however you can. Right. We've and had work. a few donations lately. So, I, again, I don't say names on the air, but uh, we appreciate those very much. Yes, we, we certainly do. Now... What are you picking next week, my friend? You know what? I haven't even thought of it. You, don't, you go ahead and go because I haven't even... Honestly, you just hit me between the eyes. I realized I haven't picked anything yet. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll tell you my film. And I will say that after that, uh, barring a scheduling thing where we're going to get uh, a special Canadian guest um, from the downtown area on the show, uh, if that doesn't quite work out in October, then we're going to... Uh, my programming for the rest of the month after this week is uh, going to be a couple of my favorite horror films of all time in Halloween spirit. But next month, we're going to go to the drive-in. And I know one of our good friends, Mike Gensley, is a big fan of this film. Uh, I'm almost certain of that, actually. It uh, is one of the essential drive-in films. But sadly, a lot of people haven't seen it. And I think that's a real shame. And I think I want to try to remedy that by talking it up next week. Uh, And this is, of course... uh, Starring, written, and I believe produced by Max Baer Jr. Of course, he of... Jethro of Beverly Hillbillies fame. Nice. Uh, and this is the one, the only Macon County line. Nice. Nice. Nice choice. Yes. Nice choice. I'm thumbing through my notes here, looking through the films I have on a roadmap, uh, trying to figure out what I want to cover. Uh, let's see here. All right. Let's do some. Uh, let's have some. Uh, God, man, I got so many to choose from. I can't make my mind up. That's the worst part about this. Uh, okay. Let's. Uh, Let's have some fun here. Let's go with uh, Gary Daniels as the kickbox Terminator. <laughs> yes. Nice. I've <laughs> been meaning to cover that one for a while, so we'll go with that. <laughs> little <laughs> Southern sheriffs, little kickbox Terminators. Yeah, I was gonna, to I go. was gonna go with like Extreme Prejudice, but it was a little too similar to Making yeah. County Line, so I went with. Uh, Kickbox Terminator. So keep keep that one in your back pocket. I've been dying for you to pick that one forever. Well, I was getting ready to pick it, so. and then you said uh, make it County Line. I was like, eh, maybe a little too similar. Not 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 really. They're not really. I have nothing in common actually. But but the whole sheriff thing. Yeah, and yeah. I know, man. Yeah, so I wanted to make sure we. You know, I like to keep it as diverse as possible. So Kickbox Terminator is probably nothing like making County Line. <laughs> <laughs> I would say. <laughs> yes, I would say that's probably a safe bet, even though I haven't seen Kickbox Terminator yet. <laughs> I haven't either. So. Is this is this our first, no, it's our second Gary Daniels film, actually, yes, isn't it? Yeah, if we did yeah. Fist of the North Star. 
That's right. So, and then we've also talked about him through the Expendables. So, little yes. da- little Daniel's love, which is uh, certainly needed, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just gonna get some of these other guys on there. I was almost went with the Jeff Speakman too, with the perfect weapon, or, or the Billy Blanks. Oh yeah, we haven't done. Oh, I'm saving the Blanks is coming. Trust me. <laughs> we we should almost stack an uh, Olivier Gruner, uh, Grunier, and a Billy Blanks together, man. Yeah, the Blanks is coming, brother. Trust me. I got nice. I got an ace in my pocket. Oh, very nice, very nice. All right, so I guess with all of that, uh, we will say um, adios. Adios.